And we are, and we live. are live. Take it away, Dean. All right. Welcome to the For We Are Many podcast. My name is Dean. I am the person who is speaking right now. My pronouns are we, they, he, him, thou, and thee. Rob. I'm Rob. Um, I'm here. <laughs> Sorry, that's all I got today. Good enough. <laughs> Don? Good evening, everyone. It's your boy back again. Don, good news, Hughes. We'll get to the good news later, but hi. I'm proud of you. You made it. Next. Hi, I'm Trisha. Currently somewhat present. <laughs> I'm I'm here. Maybe not fully. I'll just take a moment to thank you guys right now for your patience with me because I might be on and off screen going to stretch and elevate my foot like I was last. So thank you. Blaine. Next. My name is Sterling. I am also not here, officially or unofficially. Uh, and that's really it. Done. <laughs> and uh, Brandon, I guess that leaves you. Uh, Brandon is our guest today. Hey guys, uh, my name is Brandon. Um, I'm with the uh, folks in Cooperation Denton down here in Denton, Texas. Um, pronouns are he, him. And uh, yeah, just your your friendly neighborhood uh, mutual aid organization. <laughs> so happy to be here. Thanks for having me on, guys. Oh, uh, well, being here. Thank you. Anytime. Welcome to the table. Feels pretty good. My first interview. Is it really? <laughs> right on. Right on. I'm surprised. I mean, yeah, actually, the 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 chat that we had before we started the stream, I would not have guessed this is your first time just jumping into something. That's that's okay. We're probably a good warm up because we're not, uh, you know, your, your typical media organization. I'm kidding. <laughs> l l let me let me ask you real quick, right before we get into too deeply. Just speaking from your experience personally, I mean, how you how are you doing? I see you had a light on there to the left of you, probably right. Yeah. So you've the, got power. Uh, thank mercifully. Yeah, the power um, came back for us on Thursday. Um, yeah. er ERCOT had restored most of the grid, and then by Friday they lifted the uh, the rolling blackouts order. So we are uh, we're back to normal. Um, there's just a lot of people who still have no water because the pipes bursting caused permanent water loss for some housing, and so they've had to bring people out to repair it. And plumbers are just like backed up for weeks. Like it's it's pretty bad. So that's the immediate need. So. Uh, Rob, I hope you don't mind. I just have a few questions if that's okay. Oh, go with ahead. Okay. So what is the situation like from, you know, the uh, 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 health perspective when it really, as it relates to water? Well, I mean, a lot of us are from Flint. We've lived in Flint. We understand how, it, how difficult that can be for sure. Um, how's it going to the grocery stores? Um, do, you have, do you, have, you have running water where you are? Are you boiling? Certainly, hopefully. Um, 
you know, and then I'm sure that actually in here on this show and in the comments, we can, we can probably give you some, <laughs> some help, helpful advice on how to handle a, a undrinkable water. Yeah. The, um, the boil water order was put in place, I think around Wednesday or Tuesday, um, yeah. because the, the city lost pressure in the pipes. And so they couldn't, they couldn't guarantee their water would be uh, clean. So we all had to boil our water, which for some people was like, we don't have power. How are we going to boil water? You know, right. um, I saw a really funny post on put up and they were just like, what water with what power, huh? Like it's, yeah. they're, um, thankfully where I live in our city of Denton, there were a lot of places that had access to water, a lot of breweries that had a lot of water um, or infiltration. Yeah. Or RO systems. And you could just show up with a, any kind of container and they would just fill it up for you. Wow. So we had a we had another really great mutual aid org that formed called like the Denton Water Crew, and basically all they would do is just deliver water to people who needed it. So it was it, we had we actually had a big turnout, big response to this from the community. I was really impressed with people. They kind of really just came together, you know. That's great news, actually. We've uh, we've kind of discussed among ourselves how we feel like getting involved is going to influence more people to get involved. And basically what you're describing is proof of that in the field. So that's very reassuring. Um, of course, it is disappointing to begin with that this kind of situation is what brings us about to begin with. Um, but don't let a good disaster go to waste, right? <laughs> yeah. So uh, here are some mutual aid groups that can use help now. Um, if we have anybody listening that's in Texas, um, of course, you know, um, get involved. Um, that being said, obviously not all of us have the means to travel to Texas. So, um, you know, there's options for donating to these groups. Um, that being said, I do want to put a little disclaimer out there. We're going to talk about it more in a bit, but there has been issues with Cash App and Venmo um, placing limits on accounts. So there's been an issue with distribution, but hopefully that won't last too long and um, everything can continue. That's basically all I wanted to plug there. Um, so I guess moving on. Um, I do have a link that we're going to drop in the comments, but uh, what is the situation like on the ground? Like, I mean, that can be either now or when it started, but. Um, when it started, it was, uh, it was kind of like a scramble, right? Because like when this thing like hit us, like it hit us hard, like power, when we, whenever we started losing power, people were like, what do we do? You know, because we didn't know when it was coming back on. Some of us were on rotating power. Other folks didn't have power for days. Um, some of their houses, some of my friends in their houses, it was 45 degrees indoors. So, and like, you know, these guys had kids and, and like we had no way to make food. So it was kind of a, it just kind of like happened. Like I, I think everybody was um, probably expecting it to be like the last time we had a big ice storm in 2011 um but like this was was way worse than that so part of what was motivated us to get started was we realized that we have a really big houseless population in, in denton 
and the city only had warming stations open until 8 p.m. So like Ooh. after eight o'clock, they were just gonna kick them out. And uh, we were like, this this isn't gonna fly. So we basically like would go around, try to find people and put them in hotels, put them in inside at least. Um, so we, we raised money, we got a lot of volunteers, um, we had drivers, we had dispatch um, to find people, pick people up, coordinate food deliveries. Um, so it was a lot of like driving around on the ice, like bringing food, bringing groceries, um, just like bringing medicine. So it, it went from like a very like crazy, um, kind of a crazy setup where we were just sort of flying by the seat of our pants to a more organized, streamlined um, situation. So right now the situation on the ground is, I mean, we have power. It was 60 degrees yesterday. Like, so it's almost like we, it was like winter wasn't even a thing, you know, like we <laughs> all the snow, which is melted instantly. Um, and, but the problem right now is just the water situation. Water is unreliable. Um, like just availability of waters because of the pipes bursting. But uh, grocery stores are, are okay. Uh, you can get most of the essentials, uh, which was good because we had to do grocery shopping for a lot of people. So I was like, can I at least find rice and pasta and like, you know, all this other stuff that I need to get people just, just calories. Um, and I could, but then again, I was like shopping at Aldi's. So I, I didn't dare go to the Walmart or anything like that to see what was up. But I know the first couple days of the storm, they just closed the store because they had no power. So they couldn't even check you out if you were in there, um, which is why a lot of Texans are like, big shout out to HEB because they just gave people groceries whenever power went out. They would we say, saw that. Your hands yeah, we saw leave. that. Yeah. So it's semi-normal now again. Um, the I think the big trick, big thing we're trying to juggle right now is now how do we detransition from this kind of crisis response team to like an organization that's going to create more permanent um, preventative solutions to these problems rather than just reactive, like uh, reactive solutions. Um, like we don't want this to be a thing where it's like all the work we do is when it gets really bad instead of something where we can make sure that this doesn't happen again in the future, right? Yeah, absolutely. So you answered the uh, second question, um, which was what are you currently doing to help people in need? So. Uh, that's cool. How did your organization get started or how did you get involved? Um, there is a organization called People's Council of Texas, um, the, or PCOT for short. They're kind of a, uh, they kind of do what we do on a much larger scale, but they're, a, they're not as active as we are. Um, so we were sharing a discord channel over there for our region specifically, Denton specifically. And we realized that like we were way more active and kind of like we needed our own space. So we just kind of branched off from Peacock and did our own thing. And um, so I, don't, I can't even remember how I got involved. Cause I mean, I'm in like SRA's chat. I'm in like, you know, the TSA chat. I'm in like all these other left, all these other chats. And um, I just kind of found myself in that one. And uh, most of what we did was we meet every week, you know, like we'd plan like community gardens and like, you know, do some light mutual aid. We'd help out the, the Denton left with the free store. Um, where they like just put a bunch of stuff on tables and just tell people just come take it like just come take whatever you need um, I really just... like the idea. I didn't mean to cut you off. I'm sorry, but I really really like the idea of the free store Yeah, 
It's uh, we don't usually do it in the park where the the house's population tends to congregate because we know that they're going to be better served by the stuff instead of going like to the square and all the people think it's some kind of like I don't know pop up like uh, kind of a, a pop up thrift store or something and it's just like no like let's let's take the stuff where it needs to go so the real Absolutely. trick is figuring out who's got what right yeah so uh, I just quick question. Um, for the timeline here. So you've been dealing with this since what about the 14th of February or so? Um, you mean the ice, the ice storm problem? Yeah. Yeah. The, the real, the storm itself started last, about last Sunday. Okay. Um, like it started at night as uh, when we lost power. Um, like everything was kind of, was okay. Like we had snow, it was cold, but yeah. we had power, we still had water. Um, so I think around Saturday night is when the snow started falling, and then Sunday night is whenever the power went out. Um, Got it. Got it. So that's, wow. It's been about a week, I guess, that we've been doing this. That probably like felt like so much longer than a week. I can only imagine. Right. Yeah. yeah. No. What a did. week. Yeah, we. Um, it, it was uh, it was semi to our advantage because we weren't going to work right because everybody was closed so that left a lot of time for us to be able to volunteer you know with people so like this became our job over the over the over this this flash freeze well, um, glad you brought that up i was going to ask you about that uh yeah. so two things right one you have power and some most of the people you know have power but it's not over or is it uh it is the uh pretty much all the grid has been restored okay um, okay all the gas wells are unfrozen the power plants are unfrozen um so everything's been moved back to normal um ERCOT has like a four stage um system like the first is conservation and there's emergency one two and three and once you hit three, that's when they start shutting off power to non-essentials. So if you were on a hospital or a fire station grid, you had power the whole time. Like they Got never. But if you uh, if you weren't, you were part of the batch that got uh, their power nixed. Um, essentially, once ERCOT reaches only a thousand megawatts of power remaining, they just they just axe about ten like ten megawatt ten thousand megawatts off the grid. Um, so, and that's, that's where the rotating outages came from. And how are the employers handling people? Um, are they being paid? Are they not being paid? Is it, is, has it not uh, registered? What's, and, and there's no provision in place for that? Or tell me. Um, no, there, it kind of depends on who you work for. If Got you it. were getting, if you're getting paid while you're off, I wasn't getting paid because we are, our, our company's really small. So it's yeah. like, we weren't making any money. So it's like, we couldn't afford to pay anybody. Got it. Um, so like I started, I worked the last two days just to try to get a little bit of scratch that week. Um, but I know that, um, there weren't any provisions like for taking care of people's finances. So if you just didn't get paid, then basically everybody, it's just kind of like tough. You know, it's like, it's like you just didn't get any money. So, um, so that one paycheck away from disaster is a, is a nightmare come true for a lot of people on top of living in the middle of a pandemic. Yeah, we, uh, we definitely got contacted by some folks who um, were kind of in between housing and the loss of work was like, it was really stressful for them. Yeah. Um, yeah. They were basically going to get kicked out of their hotels. 
uh, because they just didn't work for four or five days. And so that's, that was a huge deal for a lot of folks. I'm fortunate enough to be okay, or if I lose out on three days of work, I'm not going to be in trouble, but there are a lot of people who are going to be in trouble. Yeah, that makes sense. And that's, that's actually kind of what I was concerned about um, in terms of a long-term uh, problem is, well, like Dean said, a lot of people are one paycheck away from disaster and that's, you know, quite possibly a nightmare come true for a lot of people. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I mean, Did your mayor have good. any words of wisdom on Facebook or no? Oh, the mayor? Oh, that's... <laughs> Just kidding. No, of course no, not. You, uh, <laughs> that's actually really funny. There was a council meeting, emergency council meeting at um, 9 a.m. on Friday, I think, Thursday or Friday. And uh, our mayor's name is Gerard Hutspeth. He was just elected. Um, and he actually he actually forgot to log into his like sock puppet account because he posted a status on his official page. And then on his personal account, he replied to that status saying, thank you, Mayor Gerard Hudspeth. <laughs> so oh, <he> no. <laughs> thanking himself. Wow. <laughs> It was it was it was insane. It was it was weird watching. I was like, "Is this real life? Is this happening?" Um, no, man. The Matrix is glitching out. Yeah, for sure. The mayor is a bot. The mayor is a bot. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised, honestly. I I don't like the guy at all. I mean, for other reasons besides just you know that the state is kind of not my favorite, but um, <laughs> as a person, he's he has very uh, I don't know regressive political ideas, mm. but. Uh, but apparently our city paid $209 million for power for four days. Um, Whoa. Holy fuck. <laughs> Weren't yeah. they hiking up the prices in the last stretch of that? Like outrageous? Oh, yeah. No, the way the Texas grid works is that power, you essentially have to buy it off the grid. And so when things are fine, you're not paying you know that much for it. But it was, I think, like $9,000 per megawatt hour. Um, so is is basically is like nine dollars a kilowatt hour per person. So I mean, like for a, for a reference, our kilowatt hour rate in Denton is eight cents. You know, so like when it's nine dollars, um, thankfully. Oh, what are the economics of that? How does that even work? I mean, does that mean you you guys are going to get uh, catastrophic power bills? How how are they how are they footing the bill for that? And make I, I God Jesus. What kind of vampires thought up this scheme? Yeah. Capitalists. The ones that own the, the power. They Holy shit, dude. <laughs> so you're going to get a fucking $5,000 power bill, aren't you? No, thankfully in Denton, um, our rates are locked, so they can't do it. Um, I know they issued, I can't remember what they issued. The city is raising the money through other means. Um, oh, but... they're raising $200 million through other means. That's all right. Yeah. Well, I'm staying cool. tuned for that. Thankfully, they're not passing it on to the, the consumer in this case. I mean, they are in other ways, but not through our power bills. There were some Texans who had um, other power distributors who do wholesale pricing on power. So you pay the wholesale rate for power. Um, so most of the time, you're getting less, you're paying less for power. You're paying like two cents, three cents a kilowatt hour. But when the wholesale price was $9,000 per megawatt hour, people realized that their bills were now over a thousand dollars within a few a couple of days. And so there was a power company in I think West Texas that just told them like, 
just just disconnect your service like before the bills hit like just get off like this is this is we're gonna get the money somewhere else Um, so what recommendations do you have for people like us that are trying to form our own, uh, mutual aid or other, uh, local networks or trying to get involved with organizations already running? Um, I think the biggest thing a lot of folks struggle with is just getting started. I think like you sometimes just like have to tell yourself, like, you got to find, first of all, a group that's currently active. Um, Don't try to like find one that's like only half active or where the membership mostly is just kind of disconnected. Um, And then you just got to show up. Like that's, that's the big thing for a lot of people who, when you're volunteering your time to join a a collective organization, um, you, if people don't show up, nothing gets done. Right. So I've had this happen with a lot of groups. I'd say, join it. We'd have these big ideas, these big projects. And then when it comes time to actually like, you know, put shovels in the ground, only like three people come out of like the 20 or 30 who said they were going to show up. This guy, this, this group, thankfully, everybody shows up. Everybody's present um, because we all believe in what we're doing. And so if you want to maybe start your own, um, basically just try to find people who share your vision and, and get in touch with them. Like start a, start a group chat, start a discord, start some means of communicating with them regularly and keep in touch have have regular meetings like hang out with each other like you know just like make it so you're not just um colleagues you know in this effort you're kind of friends right you can talk to each other about because this is difficult work you know volunteering is difficult work working with disadvantaged populations is difficult work because you feel sometimes helpless um but i feel like if if our model is anything to show for it's like you can actually do a lot if you have enough people who have the skin in the game, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's, that's good. Um, is there anything else that you just want to generally say? Um, well, generally speaking, um, I guess I'll like, I'll clarify a little bit and say that even though we do mutual aid, that is a part of our, of our um, organization it is not the sole purpose of the organization you know like there are groups that do food distribution who work specifically with the houses who have like who fight for tenant rights you know those are very specific mutual aid orgs but the the aims of cooperation den is really to have a system in place where we're not a reactive organization like we're preventing these situations from happening in the future right like maybe using that fund those funds that work to start a community-owned housing cooperative, you know, would be a good step. It's like having yeah. shelter where, if this happens again, we're not just lining the pockets of landlords who owned hotels who are gouging the prices of two-star, one-star hotels to one hundred and twenty-five dollars a night um, because they know that they can do it and they know that nobody's going to turn away shelter in a in a blizzard. So it's like instead of doing that in the future, instead of spending like ten grand on hotels um, to shady landlords, <laughs> maybe put that money towards having housing that uh, we own or the community owns, um, so that when whenever the time comes, it's like we've got a place we can put people. Um, so it's those love- those ideas, the building the community dual power yeah. network, um, getting people on board with taking care of ourselves um is sort of where we're what our aim is um mutual aid is always going to be a part of it we're always going to work with people who fall in hard times or the houseless population in town but um 
there are definitely orgs that do that like full time, like 100% of the time. And so I think if someone needs mutual aid funding, um, it's probably those those guys um, because I think our little um, network we've established doing the freeze uh, has definitely made it seem like that's kind of like all we do, but it's like it's just a part of what we do. Yeah, yeah. Um, honestly, I'm really glad you came on. This has been a really productive thing. So while we're talking, is there any uh, any chance that in the future you'd be interested in? Uh, coming back for a mutual aid organizing workshop. Yeah, absolutely. I'd uh, love to come back. That'd be awesome. Um, so that's pretty much all the all the questions I had for you. Um, but I I liked everything you said, man. Like straight up. Um, <laughs> the idea of the free store is great. Um, being able to mobilize before there's a problem, I think, is an important goal for any group to have. Um, and I mean, I don't know, you were, you were down to earth and straightforward about it. I appreciate that. Um, Absolutely. So the next Rob, can, segment... you can you share the, uh, um, uh, detail slide? Oh yeah. That? Yeah. Yeah. My bad. That's actually what I was going to do when I was scrolling, but then I forgot what, so I was just going to go on to the next thing, which is about guerrilla gardening. If you're interested in discussing that. Oh yeah. We, uh, we actually do do guerrilla gardening and uh we we have a i forget what the the program's called but basically it's a it's a map where you can tag locations where there's stuff like food growing in the wild that we've planted or free stores or basically any kind of like free thing that's out there in the wild um and we were we were going to start making seed bombs and just like throwing them in places like where people would be, be kind of obscured a little bit um so that we could just start gardens everywhere um that was kind of our our, our goal but we also want to start um community gardens uh in as many places as we can possibly put them yeah you guys are absolute terrorists that's right this is unprecedented and for those and for those uh listening just be be aware that that no no gorillas will be harmed as we utilize their labor <laughs> <laughs> they they will get an equal share. That's correct. In fact. Uh. <laughs> oh my god, I love you guys. <laughs> mm -hmm. So uh basically I have I have another thing, another link to share in the group chat. Or I can just say it out loud. Gorillagardening.org. They appear to be based out of the UK, but they have a whole bunch of tips. A whole bunch of um, community pages as well, like exactly what you were just talking about. They have maps um, that show where people have planted things, or you know where things aren't planted. Um, I, I just found out about this website today. That's why I'm literally reading it off the screen. But um, I've been interested in the idea for a while, and uh, I think that's. Probably the best way that I can get something started right now by myself. And that's, I feel like, a situation that a lot of us are in. Um, so I wanted to talk about it. We all need to be able to eat. Uh, food is not cheap. Good food is even more not cheap. Um, so basically, I wanted to go through the steps as this website laid out anyway. Um, 
Step one, spot some local orphan land. There's plenty in most major cities in the U.S. The areas along sidewalks, abandoned concrete planters, neglected flower beds. Um, choose one, <laughs> pretty much. Uh, if you do it close to home, like, you know, somewhere that you pass on your daily walk with the dogs or something, um, you can appoint yourself the parent of this orphan land and look after what you grow. That, of that being said, there's also seed bombs and stuff where you wouldn't necessarily be um, looking after it. It would just be doing its own thing. Step two, plan a mission. Make a date in the diary for an evening attack when troublemaking busybodies are out of sight. I, I loved how they worded that. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, point is, you can invite friends that are supportive or, I mean, maybe even strangers. Who knows? They might see you planting some food and be like, hey, what are you doing? You know, can I help? Um, I also want to point out that in some areas, actually, guerrilla gardening is technically not legal, but I looked... Uh, quite extensively, in my opinion, today, trying to find out if anybody's ever been convicted of anything when it comes to guerrilla gardening. And the answer would be a fantastic no. rap sheet. Oh, wouldn't it, though? Can you just God. imagine having a whole rap sheet of fucking planting seeds? That would really clean mine up. I'll tell you that. Just sprinkle a few of those in there. Everything <laughs> else, fuck it. You know, look at this guy. Um, Step three, find a local supply of plants. Um, I mean, for those of us in the city, you know, DIY stores, supermarkets, wholesalers, farmers markets, um, or, you know, befriend somebody with a garden or just, I mean, if you have to go to Home Depot and buy some seeds or started plants, it's not, ideally you wouldn't have to buy them at all. But if that's the situation you find yourself in, then you know but if you have a friend with a garden uh you know ask them for seeds ask them for cuttings they're probably going to be more than happy to help you um so if you're going to do like seed bombs where you're not paying attention to the stuff regularly you're going to want to think like hardy um plants that can survive a little while without water or you know um well in arizona the big thing would be sunlight honestly but uh, too much sunlight. I know that's a foreign concept in Michigan. Ha. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> um, anyway. <laughs> they recommend getting some Wellington shoes, which are, you know, like for protecting your feet and providing um, a good product for cheap, I guess. Uh, they're, they're, they're all rubber. They're not, they're not agricultural so they tend to blend in in an urban environment but again i don't think that that's a big concern blending in i mean shit i'll walk down the street with muddy shoes after planting some flowers whatever <laughs> anyway plastic bags um so like clearing up the air or the area the air jesus um you know like weeds trash flower pots pebbles whatever you need to carry away um if you're gonna if you're gonna go in and garden a place, don't leave it trash, please. It defeats the purpose, in my opinion. Um, obviously, if you choose somewhere that you literally walk past every day, water it regularly. Keep an eye on it. Um, 
They used a, an example of New York gorilla gardeners who have keys to roadside hydrants. I actually saw that both in Flint and Detroit a lot. I've never been to New York, but I mean, it felt like in Detroit, everybody had a key to the fire hydrant. Um, and then seed bombs, obviously. So like if there's an area where access isn't exactly easy or, you know, a long-term garden dig is not doable, you can use seed bombs, sometimes called green grenades. I love that. Which are seeds and soil held in a degradable capsule. There are many different methods. Some you can easily make at home, some that require a bit more ingenuity. I would say do it at home. Honestly, anything biodegradable would work. A paper bag, a coffee filter probably. Um, if you can, find some natural fer uh, fertilizers. Um, some places would be lucky enough to have like a compost pile or a compost bin to have healthy soil to grow the stuff in. Obviously, that's not going to be necessarily able to be done in some areas. But if it is, I mean, by all means, do it. And um, then spreading the word so other people know. You can, you can do flyers. Uh, you can do a poster or a simple marker where it is, a marker in the soil. Um, you can talk to people that are walking by in conversation and, you know, maybe, maybe they'll get involved. Um, if you are not within walking distance from your house, then you're going to need to remember that gardening is dirty. So, you know, if you're not willing to get your car dirty, then you're probably going to have to find somebody else's source of transportation. Um, but there was a book that they recommended, which I've actually been recommended by other people before. It's uh, called On Gorilla Gardening by Richard Reynolds. I'm pretty sure that he's the dude that does that website, honestly, because he referred to himself in the third person. The third person? No. The first person. Anyway. Um, I plan on getting that book actually, but first I need to finish reading my way through your farm in the city. Oh, well, that was effective. I tried, I tried to hold it up, but it just was the background. So never mind. but I'm currently reading your farm in the city. And that is a really, um, I knew that I was going to learn from it. I did not realize how much I was going to learn from it. They talk all about soil fertility. They talk about what kinds of plants can grow where they talk about, I mean, they have, they have diagrams in here to turn your entire yard into a garden front and back. Um, and I didn't really, I wasn't mindful of the idea of like sprinkling pollinators flowers in vegetable gardens. So that way it would draw in, you know, bees and butterflies. It's a must dude. What? It's a must. Well, out here especially, yeah. I mean, in Michigan, when I had a garden, I never had to worry about that. There's wildflowers on the side of the road, you know? But yeah. there, isn't, there isn't wild fucking anything in Arizona. Except for, you know, like mangy coyotes and stuff. Rattlesnakes. And private prisons. Okay. He's not really no, I don't. It's, I mean, I live in I live in Texas, man. This is like the lockup state. Like we love prison here. Oh yeah, you either work for it or you're in it. Yeah, 
unfortunately, that is a... Does anybody else have anything they want to say on guerrilla gardening? <clears throat> I mean, Sterling, I know you're a, uh, a gardener, not so much the gorilla variety, but... Yet, yet. Yeah. No, I, I just need focus, honestly, or a lot of this would be something I'm, I would have implemented already. There's a lot I need to do, but I think just staying consistent is really important for me right now. Just making sure I'm gardening, making sure I'm replanting and keeping it going rather than just letting all this land go to waste. You know, I think, yeah, uh, yeah. ruin your lawns, put some boxes in, grow some food. I mean, fuck lawns, honestly. It was a way for the French monarchy to flex on the peasants. We're past that shit. Stop it. I guess it's a good time to mention that my main occupation is agriculture. Really? <laughs> nice. What do you do? Um, it's twofold. Uh, it's aquaponics system design and development. And then also we do traditional market gardens. Um, so one of my buddies, he uh, just gave up his whole backyard to us, and we just turned it into a uh, turned it into a basically a little, little farm. Um, really, so we were we basically wanted to try out the the Jang cedar and the transplant uh, paper pot transplanter because we you know we used to follow Curtis Stone and he did a lot of those. Um, and sure as shit, it makes it makes gardening way easier. Um, really, just plant a row of plants in. 15 seconds, you know, just running this thing, you know, like boom, 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 drops the seeds in. Or if you get the transplanter, you can grow a tray of plants, automate yeah. this thing like a machine gun belt. And then as you drag this thing, it digs it, digs a trench, puts it in, and then covers it up as you drag it. So it's like you can plant a whole row of pre grown plants in about the same <laughs> amount of time. Holy shit, dude. That Holy is, shit. that is awesome. It's pretty tight. Um, I'm actually looking forward more though to the aquaponics system. We just finished building it, and uh, now we got to grow stuff for it. So it's, I mean, everything we grew died, obviously, like you know, during this freeze, except for like the spinach and the the lettuce and all of the like the cabbage, all of like the cold hardy plants, mm -hmm. but uh, broccoli <laughs> gone. Like it's kind of. That's amazing, though. Honestly, dude, I've got maybe six boxes, four by eight. And I just, I grow a variety of things, but I'm not nearly as good as I want to be. And just to see someone out there doing this at that level is like, I don't, it gives me an aim, honestly. I'm, yeah, I'm super it is pretty inspirational. Stoked. Yeah. Well, I think with guerrilla gardening, it's, it's tough because gardening is really labor intensive. Um, yes. it's, a, it's a big time commitment and watering it, it actually ends up taking up more time than you think it's going to take. Um, that's why all of my irrigation is automatic. It's on drip or it's on Gotta timer. do lines. Gotta do yeah. lines. Yeah. It's like, I, I used to water my garden by hand. I had 12 boxes in my old house and I'd go out there and just, and soak each one real good. But like, that takes like 30 minutes to do. So you're just like, yeah. you're like do I really want to water it? So like now everything is just, it's automatic. I'm just on drip systems um save me a big a lot of headaches uh, especially because you can do it on you can like basically time it to just go off in the morning like at 6 a.m before the sun's even out mm -hmm. and then because no one wants to water their garden at six in the morning um but yeah i just said i don't know i think it could help you with ambition you can do more with that you know now now that you don't have to do it hell raise the stakes yeah no you i just i grew too much 
Um, but with grilled gardening, for sure, like just have reasonable expectations for yourself until you can expand your 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 crew to to help you maintain it. Because some folks go so big, and then it gets out of control, and then they just give up because they're like, "I oh, just there's too much stuff. There's too much to take care of. I don't have time, you know." And then they just let it go to waste. So start. I'd recommend you start. You know, yeah. Start small. You know, figure figure out what your limitations are, and go from there. Yeah. yeah, Natalie in our Facebook comment also points out that it's likely sensible to cultivate things that are native and that the uh, local flora and fauna rely on that's, that, that's compatible with, with, with your area. Yeah, that's a good idea. Oh, yeah. I would also, um, also if you have a, a um, University that does agricultural research. Um, down here we have A and M, so they are a big agricultural university. They find the best varieties of plants to grow in your area, your climate. So it's like you always know you're going to get a winner because they've done all the research, all the testing. So like we we grow everything for the area. Um, Texas thankfully has a really long growing season. It starts like it's year round essentially. You can grow winter plants during the winter easy. You can start fruiting plants outside in March or April. So, and they don't die until like December. <laughs> so it's like you get, wow. you get two big long seasons. It's just the summer that's that sucks. A lot of tomato plants don't like the summer. But uh, also grow plants to have a very fast turnaround that they go from seed to ready to eat like, like that. You know, radishes are good. Uh, lettuce is good. Uh, beets are good. Anything that like you can basically put it in the ground and then eat it within a month or two. So good DTM is uh, definitely advantageous. It also makes you feel like you've done something because like you get, a, you get the product quick and you're just like, yeah. Whereas if you like grow something like, I don't know, like watermelon or tomatoes, it can take a long time to finally eat that first piece of fruit. And you feel like you're just watering this green plant with nothing on it forever. Yeah, that makes sense. I was actually thinking about my first act of guerrilla gardening being um, carrots in a park down the street from my house. And what my plan honestly was, was to buy a seed tape, right? And then just do like a little fucking trench, like, you know, a couple inches down and just let it go pretty much. Um, of course, I'm in Arizona. I can't literally just let it go. It's very dry here. I would need to water it every day. But we walk the dogs every day. So, you know, but yeah, I agree. Starting small because seeing some progress is a lot better in my opinion than to start big and then get discouraged and stop. Yeah. One thing you could also do if you don't have time to water all the time, this is a really old method that the Romans used for agriculture is you essentially make a, take two terracotta pots and glue them together and then seal the bottom hole on one of them and then bury it where you're going to plant your plants and have the top exposed pour water into it and the water will leach out of the terracotta slowly over time. So they used to do it with these things called oyas, which were just really big bottomed um, pots with thin necks. They would stick out of the ground and they just pour the water in there and it just slowly leaches out into the soil over time. So it's like a, it's kind of like, it's almost like a nature's drip system, you know, essentially. So you can just grow everything around it if you don't think you're going to have time to constantly go out there and water it. That's, I've never heard of that. That's awesome. Either. <laughs> yeah, there's a book called uh, Watering with, or Growing with Less, or 
I'll have to look up the title again. I picked it up a couple of years ago and they have all of these tips for growing gardens and with minimal watering maintenance. Um, Austin, actually I'm surprised he's not in here yet, but Austin said uh, they have forest gardens, which uh, says that you only have to take care of them once a month. That is if you live near the woods or forest. Yeah, I've heard that too, actually. And I mean, honestly, when I did some like gorilla, uh, gorilla fucking pot plants back when I lived up north in Michigan, I fucking, I don't know, I probably paid attention to them for probably about the first month. But you know, I was young and dumb. So I kind of just stopped, but they still went just fine. I mean, of course, that's different, though, in Michigan compared to somewhere like well, actually, I don't know what the weather generally is like in Texas. I know it's hot in the summer, but is it like dry like it is here or is it humid? Um, it's a it's a mixture. It's like a, it's not as humid as Florida, but it's not as dry as Arizona. Right. Gotcha. It's like we're kind of the happy, the medium, you know, where it's like, eh, it's all right. You know, it's all right outside. <laughs> it's all right. The problem is, is that in Texas is the soil quality. The soil quality here is clay lot a lot of clay um if you live in a place with sandy loam soil congratulations you live on golden land but if you uh if you live in a place like mine you have to continuously amend the soil with organic nutrients or you're going to have to grow in containers so it's it's really hard to get started if you're just breaking ground um i worked with the sra on some public gardens a little while ago and like we got out there so our our plot and like you could you could sink a shovel maybe like this far into the ground and that was the dirt and then it was just clay underneath it so it was oh, wow it was terrible it was so terrible we had to use a matic to break it up and then put just organic uh potting mix in there soil compost anything to just break up the clay um so if you live in a place with a lot of clay prepared to do a lot of amending yeah well, I mean, that's part of what has been discouraging about here, too. It's very rocky. Obviously, it's very dry. Um, but, I mean, my plan for my own yard is to do, actually, I want to do a small vertical garden. Um, but I have to figure out how to find a balance to keep it out of the sun for part of the day in the summer. Because uh, 120 degrees, direct sunlight, I don't see most plants tolerating that pretty well um they don't <laughs> yeah exactly so i need to i need to figure that out and i i've been making excuses for myself honestly for the two years that i've lived in this house like well i don't own it i'm not gonna change anything but now i'm like well i'm not really changing anything i can take this fucking vertical garden that i'm gonna build myself with me when i leave so and i mean i'm gonna do basic shit like hanging tomatoes and a uh i have probably another hanging pot for herbs that's easy I'm actually planning on starting that on Thursday on my next day off. But sick. Maybe uh, maybe yeah. try out a shade cloth if you want to cut down on the the UV and the the heat. So those are usually good good middle grounds. Just like put a shade cloth up and you'll drop the the UV exposure and the temperature pretty pretty majorly. Okay, that's that's good advice. I've never even heard of a shade cloth before. Again, I'm originally from Michigan. We don't need that there. The clouds are the shade. <laughs> oh yeah. No, it's um down here in texas like we put them up over the tomatoes when the summertime because you have two problems right whenever plants are respiring it's the heat and it's the uv like that are sucking the moisture out of the plants and so if you can axe one of those things you usually can cut the uv down by 75 percent 
Um, and it just, it, then it's hot, but it's not as, it's not sucking so much water out of the plant. Um, so that's, and also they're a joy to work underneath whenever you have them up. Like, like you like, you want to go outside because you're like, oh, that's so beautiful under, under the shade cloth. Then uh, you step out and you're like, oh my God, mother nature is so oppressive. Fuck yeah. yeah. Well said, well said. I personally will have Harambe in wellies and I will not concern myself with sun. That's what I'm paying him for. Uh, interestingly, I brought this up before. Um, the precursor to Occupy was a Johnny Hempseed project. In fact, a lot of people were involved with Johnny Hempseed immediately formed and, and, and began organizing Occupy. So that's interesting how far these roots go back. And I'm also curious to hear uh, firsthand stories from people who uh, had or have participated in communal projects or other projects that predate all of these activities by maybe even a generation or two. It would be interesting to hear how what they did could be brought to bear effectively. So wherever we think we are, there's somebody 40 or 50 or 70 or 100 years ago that was there before us and learned these lessons. Yeah, that too. And Fucking also deep, I feel yeah. like just how communication's gotten so much easier. Yep. Um, so it's like, I always wonder how some of these people organized, right? Especially whenever like worries about wiretapping by the authorities were a big problem. It's like, you kind of have to do everything face to face. Um, Cause you can't just like, you know, download signal and then send someone a secure text or whatever. For real. Yep. Get on the discord channel. Yeah, so I guess that moves us on to our next segment, uh, which is going to be Black History. And uh, we don't have any speeches or anything today. We just wanted to discuss um, the family of Malcolm X. Um, released a letter alleging the FBI and the police had a role in his death, which has been long suspected. Um I, I don't even know that you would call it news in that, but I'm glad that members of Malcolm's family have made public uh, what they described as a letter written by a deceased police officer stating that the New York Police Department and FBI were behind the 1965 assassination of the famed black activist and civil rights advocate. Malcolm X was a powerful orator who rose to prominence as the national spokesman of the Nation of Islam, an African-American Muslim group that espoused black separatism. Um, he spent more than a decade with the group before becoming disillusioned and publicly breaking with it in 1964. And if you don't know, the, the people who went to prison for Malcolm X's murder uh, were from the Nation of Islam. They made it sound like a, like a retaliation thing. Um, so the letter was attributed to a former undercover NYPD officer named Raymond Wood. His cousin, Reggie Wood, joined some of Malcolm X's daughters at the news conference at the site where the Audubon Ballroom once stood to make the letter public. That was uh, the Audubon Ballroom, if I remember correctly, was where he was killed, right? Anyway, um, 
Raymond Woods' letter stated that he had been pressured by his NYPD supervisors to lure two members of Malcolm X's security detail into committing crimes that resulted in their arrest just days before the shooting. Those arrests kept the two men from managing door security at the ballroom and was part of a conspiracy between the NYPD and FBI to have Malcolm X killed, according to the letter. Under the direction of my handlers, I was told to encourage leaders and members of the civil rights group to commit felonious acts, Woods' letter stated. Some historians and scholars have long contended that the wrong men were convicted. Uh, the office of Manhattan District Attorney Cy Vance last year said it would review the convictions in the case. Uh, Malcolm X's daughter said she had always lived with uncertainty around the circumstances of her father's death. And she said, uh, quote, any evidence that provides greater insight to the truth behind that terrible tragedy should be thoroughly investigated, end quote. I mean, this year we have seen, uh, well, now this letter about Malcolm X, we, we recently saw declassified documents about Fred Hampton. Why is it that whenever a black man on the left specifically, but I'm sure not only on the left, but whenever a black man starts to, you know, create a movement and starts to actually change things in the, at the community level, then all of a sudden it's a problem. I, I don't think that it's surprising that the police and FBI had a role in the death of Malcolm X if they had a role in the killing of Fred Hampton. And I mean, that's, there was a lot of in, infighting that was probably caused by the FBI and the Black Panther Party too. So the point is, I guess, is how do we make it stop? That's a good question. <laughs> how do you stop that some of the most powerful state apparatuses from, from murdering people, you know? Right. Uh, I, I mean, it's, it's absurd that after, what, 60 years, 55 years, whatever, after over half a century, we still have to have this conversation. I can't believe that <laughs> this is where we're still at. I mean, that being said, I have very little faith in the state myself, but um, wow. I mean, you could say it's it's not even surprising, right? Like these sorts of organizations exist to maintain American hegemony, both at home and abroad, right? If we're willing to kill people in different countries or pay people to kill people in different countries. And why are we, why would we be surprised that they would do it here too? You know, uh, I feel like a lot of these, these black liberation movements get too spicy for the government when they start wanting to cooperate with white progressive movements, because now you have racial unity behind a political cause and that's not good because they spend so much time and effort making sure we focus on racial division so we don't get this whole class unification thing in our heads, right? Because like that would be very, very troublesome <laughs> for the U.S. government. Well, they've so got the same separation mechanisms for the left and the right. I mean, like you were saying, you know, the, the desire to reach conservatives in some level to unite behind this is, is real because that's a significant portion too support we need you need to unite the working class not just one you know segment of it ultimately yeah and that's that's what i i try to you know first of course 
make my lib friends kind of move over a little bit more because they're closer to radicalization than, than conservatives can be. But um, definitely, I feel like this is why the left mostly talks about economic issues, right? Because like the, the situation that exacerbates so many societal issues comes from a lack of, of economic autonomy or mobility or poverty. You know, it's like you allevi alleviate those problems, you can kind of create the foundation to start something that has a little bit more, um, I don't know, stickiness, I guess. Uh, when people aren't worried about like, you know, losing their homes or going without food, right? It's like, then they can probably, they can devote more energy towards other causes. Natalie in the comments just said, change is not a word our government likes. No, no, it is not. But I mean, that being said though, on the whole like right left division, why is it that our government is so willing? Okay, so like look at the January 6th thing compared to, you know, Black Lives Matter in Washington DC a few months prior. Look at the difference in response between a left-wing organization and a fascist attempted coup. <laughs> right. There was like six cops and from the sounds of it, they were all in on it. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's because, you know, inherently conservative politics and movements don't threaten the status quo at all. Like if you, if you remove, let's say that they had succeeded in removing or murdering, like, you know, the United States government um, or like, you know, installing Trump as their, as their dictator daddy. Right. It's like, their lives and the lives of the people who make the most money in this country would be fundamentally unchanged. Um, but if you have a, a leftist movement or left-wing movement that is now making the conversation about racial equality and racial economic equality, um, and then joining like with other groups to like make their voices heard, it's like, that does impact the the money train. It does impact the gravy train. It, it impacts the, the power structure, right? We had a lot of uh, progressive candidates get into office on the back of BLM, um, showing that like when people are kind of behind something, you can make a big difference, and that's why they don't they don't like it. <laughs> the government doesn't like it. Well said. Well, the government doesn't care. I, I, sorry, you know, it, it, leave it to me to kind of rip it open. The government has no agenda beyond its own self-perpetuation. So it's the only threat to government, if you will, is its inability to self-perpetuate. And the way that it sustains itself, the way that it perpetuates itself, is through the market. So it's the market that determines the outcome of this and just about everything within the fabric of our reality. So. I just wanted to give a shout out to Cadence in the comments. Um, he said, that's my goal to unite all, but move people at, like more into a radical uh, direction. And I agree ultimately. Yeah. The radicalization pipeline is, um, it can be can be tricky, right? Especially for those of us on the left, where we're so used to infighting and, and kind of consuming each other. Um, we we had a discussion with some earlier today, and I said nobody hates leftists more than leftists. So, um, it's, sadly, it's true. Luckily, in this group, 
so far we have not had any of that, but I have seen a lot of it in my time on Facebook in general, I guess. Um, it's, it's on Twitter too, though. But I think that a lot more people are starting to realize that the actions that need to happen now are not a sectarian thing, um, even if we disagree on the angle, ultimately. I'm sorry. I, mean, I feel like Go ahead. it should be easy to it should, it should be easy to have like one goal, right? Which is just to end capitalism, right? I feel like being anti-capitalist is for me enough to get your foot in the door. Uh, we're all work with somebody if we're anti-capitalist. It's, it's like maybe what you envision society looking like after it's all said and done is different than me. But until we can abolish capitalism, we're never even going to see what that looks like. You know, so that is the market. Yeah. Again, well said. Yeah, and uh, to expand on on Dean's point a little bit, I, it's not necessarily that the government cares. It's just that the government is a tool. For the market to wield its power correct state exists to protect private property and private interests so you know ultimately it's just it's just a big police force for the wealthy it's a structure of processes in order to facilitate the market go ahead oh i was just gonna say there's a word for that fascist (laughs) (laughs) you know one of my um sorry everybody i'm back now um one of my favorite superheroes growing up is anti-fascist uh he he actually made his name by punching nazis in the face there's a famous comic of him punching hitler right in the fucking mouth captain america i love him (laughs) thanks for that thanks for that donald duck did too by the way yeah he did he he did he fought in the uh timeout. Wasn't Donald Duck also a Nazi? Um in a different cartoon. In a different life. Daffy Duck is what I'm thinking. Donald Duck, I think you could be right. I think both Daffy and Bugs um had a swing at Hitler. So Looney Tunes based? Yeah, totally based. <laughs> Sorry, I just kind of jumped in and threw us all off like oh, that. Oh, no, you're good. Actually, <laughs> no, we're we did, to... and, and, and we should take a moment and, and welcome Austin back to our regular scheduled broadcast. And if he's uh, able to come off mute and say hi, that'd be great. If not, not. Nope, he's not even on video. Okay, well, we'll catch up to him in a minute. That's fine. Right. Um, Jessica said in the comments that she was always a big fan of Captain, Captain Planet. Same. Dude, right? right now if that's not a cartoon that radicalized the youth i don't know what dude i've been saying that for quite a while honestly captain planet is is the the source of my radicalization at its base or the episode of spongebob where they where squidward and spongebob go on strike and all of a sudden squidward's like ripping or not squidward spongebob's ripping up the floorboards like I will dismantle this oppressive establishment board by board. And I'm just like, yes. <laughs> get it. Get it. <laughs> anyway, Dean, uh, we are going into your uh, forte. All right. That's fine. <laughs> that's fine. If, if you've got anything, if you got a slide worked up, that's fine. If not, I can talk through it. I mean, basically the slide has the 1.3 acres link. Okay, that's yeah. fine. That's good. That that actually works because 
uh, since we've last gathered, um, there has been some movement. Obviously, we passed our half million mark as far as uh, loss of human life here in the United States, unfortunately. Um, Biden did it, have an address today, uh, although I didn't exactly see what it was. I knew that it was uh, related to a memorialization of the victims. Um, obviously, it wasn't a, probably a recognition of that milestone because that's a nasty milestone. Uh, you know, and, and it, it is important to note that, you know, we represent just about one, a little better than one fifth of the world's deaths. We are in an absolute runaway outbreak condition, even though the numbers are dropping. You know, I think we had a little bit less than 60,000 today. And that, and that is trending, right? It's, the trend is down. The trend is, is, is re reducing. And I'm holding my breath because two weeks ago, I made some predictions here. And I'm kind of standing by them that because of the variants, and now we have five we're tracking, but two are really uh, of, of note, of concern. Uh, actually, one or two cases have popped up in Flint of the UK variant um, I, that I feel will accelerate a third wave. And I, and I think that that could be quite an order of magnitude worse than what we've seen to date, which is... Frankly, I couldn't have predicted six months ago. I could not have predicted what happened between, you know, uh, mid-October and, and where I sit today, you know, and we're still losing more, better than a thousand souls every day in this country. And I, you know, what else can I say? I mean, we have become uh, uh, frighteningly numb frankly, to what I would call as the greatest health and human services crisis that we've ever faced. I'm still seeing hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of cases of um, just, just sketchy, unfortunate, difficult, frustrating vaccination delivery along the entire supply line where I sit right now. I'm surrounded by counties that are now vaccinating down to my age group. I have yet to get my 89 and 83 year old family members in for their first dose. So, and, and it probably doesn't help that I'm, I'm sitting at ground zero for, for coronavirus denial, to be honest. Uh, I assume that you're referring to the state of Michigan in general. In Owasso, Michigan the very first business person stepped forward and said less than a mile from where I live and said, I'm not, I'm not closing my doors anymore. I'm opening up. That was geez, April. <laughs> that was, that was when we didn't know how much farther we had to look at this. Uh, so I, I think that we set the, the tone in the nation, not only for the Capitol demonstration, but for the, outright denial that a good percentage of this population continues to exhibit and therefore endanger the lives of themselves and their neighbors and family, friends and relatives. So uh, when you get a chance, you can find uh, 
you can find Biden's remarks. I saw that he was live on Facebook, so I assume that they went out on all media. Uh, usually when I want to listen to Biden, I find NPR online and, and I get, at least I get what's, what's, what's going on. As far as we know, we have passed as of this evening, earlier this afternoon, rather, I should say, they have passed the stimulus bill. I don't know what that means as far as your your 2000, rather 1800, no, I'm sorry, your 1600, no, your $1,400 payments. No, maybe it's 1200. I did, I did warn everyone listening that we, it would be a negotiation. 2000 was the low offer. Right. So when they came back with 1600, I told you guys 1600 is the negotiated amount. It may be less. Uh, I don't know if George is going to get their uh, is going to get their uh, their extra to make them whole at 2000 or whatever. I, I have no idea. I, I, I haven't I don't think anybody among us except a handful of, of, of lobbyists have read the entire relief package relief 2.0 package and i think it's quite possibly humanly impossible to read it especially if they had a vote today uh yeah. i was hoping to have something to talk about in terms of that today but there was no way i was going to try to read the legislation well it's still got to make it through the senate right it's still oh, got to go right, through the right. senate it's not pass pass it's just past the house well right but i would like to know before the senate votes on it what's in it um, well, it does cover the stimulus check. Uh, it does cover uh, a, an incredible amount of diverse uh, expenditures to help business, to help government, to help small business, to help offset market interests. And I mean, it is one of the largest pieces of legislation we've ever produced that mankind's ever produced, probably, to be honest. Um, you know, a lot of things were, I know, uh, included, including the minimum wage. I, I think that uh, the president said very clearly a few days ago, it, under no uncertain terms, was there going to be a student debt relief uh, of any significant value or, or, reach within this with this version i i you know before we uh and i'm you know i'm the last person when it comes to democrats to say hold the line you know it's not over yet you know we're barely in our first month it doesn't mean something won't come it isn't here now and he went he so much as said so in his last town hall he said literally no <laughs> there won't be student relief I think the best we can hope for at the, in the long run when it comes to that topic, not related to COVID, but it is in the COVID bill, uh, the best we can hope for is maybe 10000 at a community college. So if you went and got a two-year program or if you've gotten something that was some sort of nursing or some sort of human service type of, of, of certification that enabled you to, to work in your field, again, this is Democrat means testing at its finest prove you're worthy prove you deserve it and maybe after after careful review we'll decide whether or not you you, you receive this benefit but until that time assume that you're not going to get shit 
<laughs> Sorry. I'm, I'm oh, pretty merciless when it comes man. to this topic, especially with these guys. I expect you to have to means test your, your, your coronavirus relief funding as well. You know, I, I'm not saying that the president knew what time it was, but we're all talking about two grand because it was his notion. I love you sometimes, Dean. <laughs> You're just blunt about it, and I, I appreciate the hell out of it. Yeah, I'm no Trump supporter. I'm no conservative. I'm I'm I am a I have I have crossed my 30th year as a socialist, declared. But and everyone who knows me knows that. But but I I. I, I said I wouldn't go against him on the run-up to the election. I'd keep my mouth shut. I wouldn't, I wouldn't try to, to influence anyone who may be paying attention to my views and opinions. I wouldn't, I wouldn't move the needle away from the goal, which is to get Trump out at any and all cost, even at the expense of health and human welfare. However, now that he's out, I, I'm sorry. I'm, you know, I will hold him as accountable as I did anyone else. I'm not breathing a sigh of relief and I'm not going into the Obama coma and not paying attention to what's going on because, Hey, you know what? Obama's going to take care of it. Literally listen to Martin Luther King third back to black history away from COVID say that COVID COVID say that because during the Obama administration, we didn't have to pay much attention to things because Obama was going to handle it. And I thought, oh, my God, you know, that my wife said that. But what, four or five years ago during the Trump administration, it's like we were all we were I, I was I, I, I paid no attention. I just assumed that they were handling things and I watched health care get slaked back and forth and heard about death panels. And, I, you know, I hauled my ass back and forth to work and I and I kind of didn't kind of assume that, th that those guys were just doing their normal bullshit and it was, it was all going to suck and <laughs> man I am so tired I, we, I'm paying these guys to do our business I'm so tired of having to worry about what they're saying and doing politics is not a sport it's not a spectator sport it's not I shouldn't have a, a, a tertiary market where I can bet on outcomes but I do they literally should they should be picking the garbage up. That's all I want to know. Give them a Christmas card with 20 in it. <laughs> okay. Well, I guess that's going to take us into major political happenings. Yeah, I try to. I try to. I try to. <laughs> yeah, I try to. In. You know, I mean, yeah, I try to tie it in. But I'm going to. I'm going to stick with the script. <laughs> I <laughs> I get too excited sometimes. I apologize, everyone. Oh no, no! By all means, I like it when you get excited, Dean. Yeah, yeah. I I've reined it in, man. I one of these days you're gonna get me real hot and fucking pissed off. So we did talk about Texas. Uh, shall I launch right in? Yeah. This week, uh, Texas Governor Greg Abbott appeared on local TV in Dallas and blame the state's power crisis on the devastating storm that disrupted the power generation, uh, disrupted power generation, froze the natural gas pipelines. Apparently it was not uh, AOC's Green New Deal or any Antifa super sluts. It was apparently the storm. You don't know that, that yet, Dean. You don't know that yet. 
Well, listen. Listen, I'll don't I... talk about don't talk about the Antifa super sluts. That's my whole good news piece, man. <laughs> Just don't assume we know their motives. Okay, we don't. We don't. Well, they're a, they're a helping force. Unfortunately, he then went on Fox News and said the following, quote, they're collectively more than 10% of our power grid, meaning wind and solar. And that thrust Texas into a situation where it was lacking power on a statewide basis. So he's squarely blamed what we would call renewable energy for the failure of the grid and the cause of the entire problem, including the lack of of support which caused the, the deaths of human beings. And I, you know, we, we're honored to have a guest and I do want to pause for a second and just give Brandon a chance to weigh in on that. I know he's heard that, he's seen that and I think he's probably got observations we would have no way of knowing. Yeah, um, so wind and solar actually make up um, on average about 20% of the grid, 20 to 25% um, during some some hours or some parts of the year rather, um, wind can make up as much as 50% of the grid. So it's during the winter that it makes up less than 10%. Um, the problem with the Texas grid is that one, it's not connected to the inter international or the interstate grid. So if we need power, we're on our own. Um, yeah, there's no way to feed power from other systems that can't be, there's no switching network and you all are disconnected in order to maintain that level of privatization that they've enjoyed in, in to enrich that very small amount of people, correct? Yeah, correct. It's a deregulated, um, or rather it doesn't have any federal regulations and it's properly owned. So it's, it's basically to maximize the profit of the grid, which is why we didn't winterize the grid after 2011 when they did that study and they found out that the Texas grid and production capacity was going to be severely impacted by very, very cold temperatures. We lost power in 2011. Um, they did the study. They said, we recommend you winterize the entire grid. And they just didn't do it. because They laughed and said, yeah, that's going to happen any minute. We'll get right on it. In the meantime, they raised your rates. That's yeah. what I read. Yeah. Immediately uh, following that, they raised your rates upwards of fifteen percent in some areas. It kind of depends on where you live and who gives you your power. So correct uh, to be to no surprise to anyone, the um, the one power company that did the best during this was the cooperative power company CoServe. Um, they had the best. The That's best right. Response. I'm really glad you mentioned that. Yeah, so we we're kind of lucky in Denton because the city owns the utility. It's not privately owned. Um, the community owns it, but not in the same way that CoServe is owned by its community. Uh, so it's for sure the failure to winterize the grid is why it failed. And so we did lose about 10 megawatt hours or 10 megawatts of power, 10,000 megawatts of power from the wind, wind farms. Mm. But we lost, I think, 26,000 from natural gas and natural coal. gas and coal yes indeed so, that's correct yeah thermal energy was severely impacted which is which was the big problem for a brief window the wind farms were actually outperforming uh what they usually would perform until they inevitably froze so well well afraid uh anyone who might be listening in el paso neither uh, I forgot the name of your grid, your system. The Western Interconnect, I think. Yeah, that's it. 
Texas doesn't care about you. You're not really Texans anyway. So sorry. You're just, I think you're part of a loose collective of people that may or may not be annexed by either New Mexico or Mexico. They don't care either way. Uh, he also says that Rick Perry pointed to frozen windmills and warned that the crisis showed the perils of promoting renewable energy, renewable energy, which, which frankly, you know, that it bottom line is the, the way that we should generate power in their opinion from here forward is through oil. They, they want to make your underwear out of oil. They want to make your food out of oil, and they want to you to they're going to burn oil to to create electricity so that you can consume other oil products. So your entire fabric of reality is that's a known trope on this show, by the way. That everything in our reality has or is contains or has something to do with oil or is in front of you because of oil. Oh. The Texas Public Policy Foundation, a conservative think tank with ties to fossil fuel industry, alleged that the storm would never would have been an issue had our grid not been so deeply penetrated by renewable energy sources. But the focus on windmills ignores the evidence and the fact that Abbott acknowledged on local TV, every kind of power generation fell short in this storm. It wasn't just renewable energy. You know, we could do what they do in Germany in order to claim that we are, in order to have 95% or higher renewable energy sources is to merely outsource the dirty power generation to the Ukraine. <laughs> You know, like Germany does, and then you can then you can say, "Hey, look at all these great wind mills and these solar farms we've built, and we're we're so green." And our people who work on these systems are union labor. Anyway, God, I miss I miss Germany so much. I might be headed out that way here in a in a few years. So depending on where it, whenever the wife finishes her degree, where we. Where we go, Germany or Austria, baby? Germany or Austria? If you uh, if you get the chance, I highly suggest checking out um, the Nuremberg area in in Bavaria. And um, there's a very small town close to the border of the Czech Republic called Vilsack. I was stationed there. It's a, it's a beautiful little town. I was born in Stuttgart, by the way. Wow. Have a resident German in chat. <laughs> All right. So the uh, I have a I few mean, more I also, items. I also have some quotes in here, like uh, Bill Magnus, I believe his name is the president and CEO. Yeah, I was uh, gonna, I was gonna bring that up too. Go ahead. Uh, he, he said, quote, it was across the board. We saw coal plants, gas plants, wind, solar, just all sorts of our resources trip off and not be able to perform. Hey, you know, we're from Michigan. Most of the people on this call and a great many listening are from Michigan. We know exactly what happens when ICE decides to find purchase on power lines and transmission lines. It doesn't matter the source of the energy. You literally could burn grandma. If that's hooked up to a turbine and it generates power. If ice gets on that line in enough quantity in order to enable its failure, you will run out of power. So for anyone to point at renewable energy and make it a, a political target 
is cheap, dirty, and stupid. And I, and I have a feeling that the people of Texas are smart enough to understand that they don't need me to explain it to them. You would think so. But being down here, I've already had conversations with conservatives who have, I mean, like you always know what the talking point is because you hear it over and over and over again. Oh yeah, absolutely. And they heard that bullshit from Rick Perry and they took their 10 gallon hats off and they smacked themselves on the ass and they shot their six shooters in the ceilings and said, you're goddamn right. I know exactly what happened. And that's exactly how it, how it, how it happened. I still had the bullet holes in my floor too. <laughs> As they shot their six shooters and levitated off the ground like... Uh, Yosemite Sam. <laughs> Yosemite Sam. <laughs> yeah. The other, the other one I've been hearing a lot is, well, who cares if Ted Cruz left the state? He couldn't do anything anyway. Bullshit. Yeah, what'd you expect him to do? Run up there on the power poles and pull lines himself? <laughs> yeah, a little solidarity would have been nice. Maybe, maybe stand in the cold with other people and 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 have encouraging messages, or or at least be present. Not just fuck off with your friends and family. Oh, I was coming back. I just went there to put the condom on my wife's boyfriend and then come right back to it. <laughs> oh, that, uh, that reminds me. I, something I forgot to tell you guys. Um, on Thursday, near the end of this crisis, our team was contacted by AOC's fundraising uh, campaign. Nice. So they, Wow. They buzzed us. We, we had a conversation with one of her finance people and they were like, we want to put you on the next round of, of fundraising. So, but she got to get hooked up with a 50, 5013C to do yeah. it. And so, or C3. So we had to scramble to find somebody to be our sponsor to get on Act Blue to accept donations. So uh, when people talk about like, well, what are politicians supposed to do? It's like, uh, the ones that don't live here have been doing a lot. So, well, you can, you can, uh, you know, if, if real quick, I guess it would be prudent to share that while we're on that topic. Uh, let me just do that, if you will. Um, yeah. Sorry, guys. Let me just do that, if you will. Um, if you hit present up in the right, it'll make it full screen. Yeah, I'm trying to hit F5. I usually does it, but it's not, so. Sorry. So that, that open collective site, uh, Brandon, is that like, um, I, I, I didn't actually click it because obviously you sent it like two minutes before we came on air. Is that like <laughs> a, a website or is that like a donation platform? It's um, basically what it is, is it is a, it, you can either hook it up to a bank account or you can use a fiscal sponsor to hold the money and do all the tax reporting for you. Um, essentially what it is, is it's, it's like a donation portal but it also serves as a transparent and open um, platform. So you can basically, if an organization wants to put money in into this platform, into their account, right, their bank account, then the site will show the money was deposited. And then it will also show every time money is taken out, that information is publicly available. But it also allows people to basically bill the account. Um, and essentially, it's an open 
democratic, transparent platform. So instead of us just putting money in a bank account and doing reports, we can just say, go look at where we're spending the money. We have the invoices public. We have the people who took the money out public. Um, so it's, it's very good if you want to be as open and decentralized as possible. So I recommend anybody who wants to get basically set up in any kind of organization where you take donations and you want to be open about it, I'd recommend Open Collective for that. Thanks for that recommendation, actually. I'm gonna write that down and <laughs> make sure that we uh, remember that. Sorry, yeah. guys, my audio completely white dropped, so. Yeah, we're already getting questions about how we're going to use the funds from the fundraiser that AOC is doing for us. Um, I mean, we're one of 12 or 13 orgs getting it, so it's not like we're getting a ton, but um, basically- Well, it's I don't know. It was what, $2 million in a day or a day and a half or some shit? Yeah, the first round was pretty big. Um, it's it's dropped off a bit. When we got on the docket, we were on the docket basically like the end of the fundraiser. So sure. we didn't catch the initial windfall of, of cash, which is probably the, for the best because those orgs are probably doing more to help um, in bigger communities like in Dallas and Houston than, than we are up here. But yeah. Um, you want everybody to know what we're spending the money on and, and prove that it's it's going towards the community and it's not going into our pockets, right? Right, right, yeah, precisely. And, and you want to be able to issue uh, the tax exemption letters and things of that nature that, are, that, that you cannot do without a 501c3. Correctamundo. Thankfully, the, the platform will uh, will handle all of the, the taxes and paperwork for us. We just have to pay a 3% nice. fee, I think. Yep. um donation so but it's it's kind of worth it since we're not accountants we're not lawyers you know we're just activists so yeah right. right and that is the best use that is the best use so with that uh we can proceed um I don't really have anything more on on major political happenings other than that. Um, well, there we was there was one thing. There was uh, the suspicious package at the Line Three protests was not an explosive. Oh, I that's think, correct. Yeah. Yeah. When I heard the original headline about a suspicious <laughs> package, I was like, "Okay, come on, no, they're just trying to find a way without confrontation to get the protesters to leave." But as always, they'll be back. Hopefully they'll be back with more of them. Um, and we do have a video for that too, actually. Um, but I wanted to shout out Unicorn Riot for a source of live streams. They've been out there every time that I've heard about a protest at Line 3 in Minnesota specifically. So, Yeah, wasn't, wasn't Unicorn Riot who we were watching when the, uh, the, the riots? The going and... down in Kenosha, yeah. Yeah, I remember that. Yep. I what remember was that it? too. We watched, and we watched the, uh, they were in Minneapolis too, because uh, when they burned down the precinct, um, we watched that on Unicorn Riot. We just got a bunch of love in the, in the comments for burning down the precinct. I just want to point that out. So what did it turn out to be? What was the package? <laughs> a, a package. Was it just like, a box with something in her or was it like mcdonald's wrappers or what in the hell was the big pants shitting event about anyway um 
I never did understand what they thought it was. And did they mobilize bomb bomb units or was oh, I mean yeah, was it dude, just they, a bunch of bullshit fucking, to disrupt the they, protest? They evacuated a half mile radius around it. I see. Yeah. So I think it was just to uh I, I'm willing to bet that the workers on the pipeline were not part of that. I'm willing to bet that it was to get the protesters. It was out just of the way to so yeah. this could work. It was just to it was just to sweep the protesters for sure. Yeah. And these are old tactics, man. Yeah, I, I think that it's rather irrelevant what the package was or what they thought it was. I don't think they thought it was anything. I do have one more thing in major political news. Um, a mariachi band played outside of Ted Cruz's house today. And I just, I want it. I would love to show you guys the video, but we put this on YouTube and YouTube has probably monetized some version of that video already and it would get ours taken down so but look it up yourselves it's beautiful it's hilarious it's the perfect example of how how we can cope with these things through um <laughs> trolling our politicians trolling our politicians <laughs> I mean, the goal really is to just make them unsatisfied in their position, right? Right on. All right, I'm going to play this video. Yeah, I was going to say, do you want me to go for it? It's just a, a short little, not even minute and a half. Um, it's just an interview with one of the protesters talking about why they're there. My name is Bidwebegishagukwe. My colonized name is Tanya Abed. I'm out here to protect Mother Earth, the water, the lands, the animals, and of course the people, because we depend upon that water and to prevent the, the poisonous tar sands oil that's going to be running through here. And uh, tar sands is like the peanut butter oil, and that's the scraping of the bottom of the barrel there. They're going to desecrate even more wild rice lakes out here. The monomen we call uh, it's otherwise known as the wild rice, it's the food that grows on the water and that's what I depend upon. My family depends upon, my tribe depends upon to stay healthy over here. <laughs> I'm here independently by myself. I'm from the 1855 Treaty Territory. Personally, myself, I'm asking for the permits that they received from the Ojibwe Warrior Society. I'm part of that society. I did not put my name on that permit for them to be here. So right now they're in non-compliance. They're in unsafe working habits. They don't have the safety sticker from us and they don't have the permit to, or the documentation. They haven't produced it for me. You know, we met the Ojibwe Nation leaders in Lansing um, in 2015, when they came up to Flint in solidarity for our uh, situation, because we also went to Standing Rock. Uh, it was a moving experience. So we met a lot of those people from that very tribe, from that very region, in fact. I just, it, it caught me off guard. I forgot for a second that they're out in Minnesota. And when she mentioned the wild rice, um, Rob and I actually have you were, experienced. You were thinking of Tawas Lake. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking about going out with Joe Ireland and the tribe and helping them harvest wild rice. And I can just imagine how fucking devastated they would be if we ran a pipeline through Tawas Lake. 
after all the years of fighting to keep motorboats out of it so that the wild rice would grow again. Right. Man. Fabrics I've, of our I've reality need my oil. I've kayak a couple times too, and that's, that's always awesome, <laughs> frankly. I'm sorry, Dean, go ahead. No, the, the fabric of reality is made from oil. And that's the worst oil. She mentioned that as the peanut butter oil. That's, that is the shale sand. That's the oil bearing sand that is one of the least efficient methods possible. I mean, when that stuff, it's expensive, it's nasty to extract. And what is extracted is kind of garbage. You know, it has to be, it has to, you have to burn quite a lot more of it to generate calories than you do, you know, that quote unquote sweet crude that comes from Brandon's zip code. <laughs> nasty business right the moon no well gentlemen i gotta i gotta head out but it was uh it was a pleasure talking to everybody yeah absolutely man this was this was really cool thanks for coming on dude thank you yeah thank you it was an honor for for me thank yeah. you yeah for all of us i think um if you want to come back on you're welcome anytime man um i mean either way i'm gonna try to try to stay in touch if you want to add me on facebook um i'm not hard to find <laughs> yeah absolutely uh, i would love to come back you guys are pretty pretty cool thanks man i appreciate that yeah all right everybody stay safe and peace and love solidarity later peace indeed um so i guess that takes us into the international happenings and um, I guess we have a couple stories about uh, Myanmar. Um, I'm gonna yeah, start, what is I'm gonna going start, on? I'm going to start with this video, though. Yep, roll it. To protest former civilian leader Aung San Suu Kyi's trial, which began this week in secret. Protesters have been calling for the reinstatement of democracy since the military launched a coup on February 1st. And as Nick Schifrin reports, the protesters in Myanmar are also demanding a society that ignores their new military rulers. At secret locations across Myanmar, healthcare workers who used to work for the government now say they work for the people. This will be a great trouble for the military to control this kind of civil disobedience movement. It's a kind of protesting, not obey the orders prescribed by the military. This doctor asked us to withhold his name for security reasons. He's on strike from a government hospital and instead treating anti-coup protesters. And he says the doctor's strike is only the beginning. If the health systems fail and shut down, they might get a lot of problems. We start the movement and ask every ministry and other departments to join us to make a bigger, stronger society movement. Hundreds of thousands of public servants are on strike as part of the Civil Disobedience Movement, or CDM. They defy military limits on gatherings to launch the country's largest protests in more than 10 years. Firefighters created their own fire brigades. Engineers stopped constructing buildings. When the real police arrived to arrest the doctors, citizen police rushed into the street to protect them. And teachers refused to teach in government schools. Teachers 
lawyers as well as doctors. They're people we learn from, uh, people who guide us in life. Eamon Thant is a Burmese journalist who was part of a Reuters team that won a Pulitzer Prize for stories critical of the Burmese military that landed two of its reporters in prison. She says the civil disobedience movement is targeting the state's and military's foundations. Protesters heard the military might seize money from banks, so they blocked the central bank and called on bank staff to join the movement. Protests also try to prevent the junta from collecting taxes. Things that really directly impact the uh, any government's uh, ability to govern uh, and enact their policy and fund what they're doing. What the military is doing is reversing Myanmar's fragile democracy. The February 1st coup declared a state of emergency and installed army leader Min Aung Hlaing for at least a year. Democratic leader Aung San Suu Kyi is now in house arrest and facing charges that could lead to years of imprisonment. And now the junta is beginning to use violence. In southern Myanmar, police fired rubber bullets. In the north, soldiers fired to disperse the crowd. And this week, for the first time since protests began, soldiers appeared on the streets in armored vehicles. The military spokesman claims civil servants are being manipulated. We found out that the protesters are inciting the violence and illegally pressuring civil servants. The protesters have become violent rather than peaceful. But we've seen this resistance and crackdown before. 1988 so, uprising against the government were met with a I'm massacre. I'm not planning on uh, playing the whole video. I just wanted to play the beginning of it there to kind of get the idea of what's going on. Um, and I, I think that the imagery speaks more than the story itself. Um, I don't know if anybody was paying attention to, to the video itself that they were showing in the background, but there are just so many people. And that's what real civil disobedience looks like. If we want to force the, the, the hand of the state in any direction, that is what we need to do. Um, if that's what we wind up doing, though, we need to be prepared for the state to react exactly like Myanmar is reacting. Uh, speaking of, we can elaborate on this a little more. The video was talking about rubber bullets. Well, um, there are reports that they are using live ammunition now from doctors on the ground and from that's protesters what I've heard. and yeah. from journalists. We have a story about that, but this... Uh, where is that one? Right there. Yeah. So yesterday, um, Myanmar, the military issued a warning that protesters that, uh, you know, did not go home could suffer a loss of life. Um, and the day before that, somebody had already been shot and died. So anyway, I just wanted to point out how badass the citizens of Myanmar are for taking that kind of risk and standing up in that kind of way. They knew the risk. They knew what was already happening and more people turned out in force. Solid fucking darity, man. Um, huge crowds brought Myanmar's towns and cities to a standstill Monday in a mass strike against the coup, despite a warning from the military junta that protesters will suffer loss of life if the demonstrations confront security forces. Activists had called for a historic strike following the most violent weekend since protests against the February 1st coup began, in which police opened fire on protesters in the second largest city on Saturday, leaving at least two dead. It is found 
that protesters have raised their incitement towards riot and anarchy mob on the day of 22 February. Protesters are now inciting the people, especially emotional teenagers and youth, to a confrontation path while they were suffer well, where they will suffer the loss of life. That was the statement from the State Administration Council. That's what the military junta is calling itself, if anybody was wondering. A video from social media Sunday night and Monday morning showed barbed wires blocking roads to some foreign embassies in the largest city. The focus point for many recent protests. Footage also showed what appeared to be police and military vehicles rolling through the streets. We saw some of that ourselves. Protesters called for all offices and shops to be closed on Monday, with activists urging all citizens to join the protest, known as the Five Twos, or the Two, 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 Two strike, in reference to Monday's date, which is, you know, 22-2-2021. I don't really get where the Five Twos comes from, because it's not 2022, but... Well, they say their dates in a different order than we do. Yeah, yeah. Um... I'm still only seeing four twos. I guess 2021. I I don't know. Anyway, five twos. Bunch of twos. Big twos will be a big historic day. Keep watching us and pray for us, friends. Uh, that was that was a public statement from the civil disobedience movement uh, uh, in a tweet. But that was today, and I haven't seen much. <clears throat> Um, in terms of you know what happened today I guess is what I'm trying to say uh, and then moving to Spain um, Pablo Hassel uh, was thrown in jail for speech ultimately um, one of his last tweets before police entered the, camp the campus and bundled him away to start a nine-month sentence, Hassel called on supporters to keep denouncing those guilty of fucking up so many lives. Who's thrown in jail for this? I, I mean, obviously the opposition is calling it an, uh, an abduction, which it is, straight up. Um, and there's been some sometimes violent, large um protests in the street and there has been a political fight within spain's spain's socialist-led coalition government um i mean basically you know in his last tweet he was like keep denouncing those guilty of fucking up so many lives and that's exactly what we're seeing thousands of people in the streets millions of people calling for his release uh he was jailed on tuesday for exalting terrorism and his lyrics and tweets um, it has also laid bare a deep divide in Spain over free speech and the country's democratic values. As mainly young protesters vent their rage at his sentence, the case is forcing the government to finally confront some of the country's laws and its judiciary, which stands accused of playing an increasingly reactionary role in society and in politics. Um, Kind of blows my mind, honestly. Like, I, I mean, we hear about people getting deplatformed here, but at least, at least people don't 
get thrown in jail, generally speaking, for what they say on the internet. Of course, there are exceptions to that, too. I'm not saying nobody has, but at least it's not a constant fear. I don't know. It's just uh, disheartening, I guess, is what I'm trying to say, to hear about that. Dean, do you know anything about what's going on in India? I wasn't able to find a whole lot. It seems like it's been quiet. And I don't know if that means that the strikes are over or if that means that they are regrouping. Well, uh, no. I mean, to answer you bluntly, no, not yet. Um, uh I do not feel that any resolution has happened and I don't believe that anything has changed. I think that we are dealing with a, uh, and, and this is historic, we've, we're dealing with a news vacuum between us and India. And a, a, as far as I know, uh, it, 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 nothing's finished, you know, and I, please correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I agree, I look too, I look too. Natalie said they sure do know how to motivate and turn out for uh, for protests. How to motivate and organize here is a question. Right. How to motivate and organize here is a question we need to find a way to do, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, we do. Um, I think there's a lot of ways that we can do that. And I think community building and mutual aid type efforts and community gardening are all good ways to start. That's that's why that's been a big part of my personal focus lately. Um, COVID has really exacerbated the need and shown the need. And I think it's up to us to act. We know the government's not going to do shit for us. So why wait for it? Let's mm. just do it. A lot of, a lot of people are afraid about, uh, not being able to pay bills or, uh, find somewhere or somebody to watch their children. And that's uh, mutual aid too. I believe, I mean, if you could find a daycare in your area that's willing to, uh, you know, low low cost of daycare, or find people to help people with bills and or like you said, the garden to help people uh, supply food. Hmm. That's uh, that's their plan though, is to keep us so far down and needing our jobs and such that we can't go out and protest like we should be able to. Well, I mean, that's the thing. I think we're riding a fine line, which I think has been the goal of the United States government forever is to keep us low enough that we can't rise up, but happy enough that we don't need to rise up. Because if things get much worse, then the American people are going to rise up, regardless. Mm -hmm. um, I think a revolution is not made by ideological standpoints and ideas. A revolution is made from material conditions. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I think that's what COVID has shown us, though, that uh, it's really brought a lot of people to their knees, if you want to say, and to the point where we should be able to strike and protest. And But again, I mean, it's the means that we don't have. We don't have the resources right now to be able to do that i mean if we are able to start mutual aid in each of our towns our cities our states and 
get people the things that they need, then I believe that we could be able to do large general strikes or go out into the streets. Right. Yeah, I 100% agree there. And uh, I think that was a perfect segue, whether it was intentional or not. Our next segment is Power of a Strike. Nice. <laughs> I don't know if that was intentional, was it? Uh, sometimes it is, and, and sometimes it just happens. Fair. Don't question it, Rob. Just accept it. Um, so before I get into the, the facts of the next... Um, story i I just want to say solidarity with our healthcare workers um okay i'll read the headline first how about that nurses at a massachusetts hospital voted to authorize a strike and i want to preface the rest of it by saying solidarity with our healthcare workers let's not not also forget or let's also not forget that in states like michigan this strike would be illegal um as i understand it healthcare workers teachers and police are not allowed to strike by law Um, anyway, so nurses at a Massachusetts hospital currently in contract negotiations with man- management have voted to authorize their negotiating committee to call a strike if management does not agree to increase staffing levels, which nurses say is necessary to assure patient safety during the coronavirus pandemic and beyond. Uh, we've been seeing a lot of issues like that, you know, doctors and nurses being stuck with, you know, twice as many patients as they should have. And that's what they're asking for, is for that to be fixed. I don't think that they're asking for too fucking much. You know what would really help? You know what would really help? What? Cuba's got all these fucking doctors, right? I mean, that might, that might like, lend the, the notion that maybe the United States has had a bass-ackwards approach to uh, Cuban relations. But that'd be one good way to open them. I'm just saying Cuba has an overabundance of doctors to the point where like on the state's dollar, they're sending out hundreds of doctors with vaccines to other countries like and they have nothing. That's the point. The Cuban, the the, the country. Oh, Rob froze. Maybe he's back. What didn't you hear? <laughs> uh, you froze at country and then. Oh, Cuba as a country has basically nothing and they're still giving to society. They're still giving to the world. Mm. You know what that probably that was? true. It was probably the FBI entering the chat. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome. Uh, shout out to my FBI brother. Please uh, take yourself off mute. If you have something to contribute. Yeah, please. Uh, my my first sergeant from when I was in the army said that you guys uh, released some documents about aliens. It might have been from 2017, though. I'm you not know quite what? Sure. Right. You know what? That's the one thing I look forward to. I thought if any president was going to cut that file loose, it was going to be that idiot Trump. He was. Gonna, <laughs> we were all going to finally yep. find out about all that shit. Nothing happened. No, they have to do it in, I think it was like 180 days after they passed the last stimulus bill. They slipped it in there that they have to declassify all of it. <laughs> oh, shit. Sorry, Rob. Oh, you're good, man. When, when Bernie was campaigning, that was one of his things was that 
that's why he want one of his reasons he wanted to make universities free was to be able to have more people go and get their doctorates to become a doctor, a medical doctor. So we wouldn't be so, you know, we wouldn't have that few of doctors in the United States. We could have more doctors. We could have more teachers. We could have more people of that kind of profession where we could be able to help people out. Instead, you pay six figures, if not more, sometimes to get your doctorates to become a doctor or something of that nature, you know, and uh, nobody uh, who can really afford that you go to be a doctor and then you, you say you go to a small town, you only get paid uh, five figures a year, you know, and you're paying off your student loans for the rest of your life. And then you probably pass them uh, to your children after you die. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't know. Uh, Jessica Bellinger in the comments said, Vermonter for 15 years here, went to nursing school for free, except books. That's how it should be. I mean, books should be included too, but I mean, compared to what most of us have yeah. dealt with. Yeah, that's absolutely wonder. Uh, Natalie said, didn't Cuba volunteer their doctors out to the USA and other countries early in the pandemic? I can't remember if it was su successful in the USA. They are still continuing to send doctors around the world. The USA said no, because, you know. Yeah, I know they they sent them to Europe. We can't work with those stuff. goddamn communists. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> no, they're well, absolutely I mean, right. That's probably why they turned us down. Well, I mean, it, it's, it's not unheard of for the United States to um, not be friendly to foreign doctors. How many times have you heard stories of uh, people immigrating here with doctorates, medical as medical doctors in their own countries, and then coming here and being stuck working at a deli or driving a cab? And I'm being very stereotypical. I'm sorry that I've just grew up in America where I get all of that on the media all the time, all the time. Anyway, so I just want to finish this piece on these nurses with a couple of quotes. Uh, the co-chair of the nurses local bar bargaining unit, Marlena Pellegrino, said with this vote, our members are sending a powerful message to Tenet Healthcare that we will do whatever it takes to protect our patients and our community in the face of their blatant disrespect and corporate greed. And then check out this quote from the CEO of St. Vincent. Uh, Carolyn Jackson, um, we believe that we have a very fair offer on the table and we hope there is no strike and that we're able to work together and take great care of patients. If that ain't a bunch of PR bullshit. I mean, it, it's obviously not a fair offer. If the nurses say it's not a fair offer, it's not a fair offer. The CEO doesn't get to choose that. That's why they have a fucking union. Anyway, anyway, um, so kind of tying into what I was talking about in Michigan, um, West Virginia has introduced a bill that would allow the firing of striking teachers. Uh, Senate Education Committee Chairwoman Patricia Rucker, a Jefferson County Republican, surprise, introduced a bill Wednesday on the first day of the regular legislative session that would allow striking teachers to be fired. 
Under the bill, county boards of education could instead order the prorated salary or hourly pay of a public employee to be forfeited for each day of their participation in a strike. County superintendents would also be barred from closing schools in anticipation of or to facilitate a strike. While the bill's prospects of passing are uncertain, the November election produced a supermajority for Republicans in both chambers of the legislature. Having a two-thirds majority gives the GOP the ability to advance bills without any Democratic support. Um, Dale Lee, the president of the West Virginia Education Association, said the bill doesn't surprise him, but he said, quote, I think they can pass anything they want to pass. Similar anti-strike provisions were removed from an, uh, from an education bill that passed the legislature in 2019. Several states, including West Virginia, already banned teacher strikes, but that does not keep them from occurring. A 1990 state Supreme Court ruling declared a strike that year illegal. If the current legislation would allow teachers to be fired, that would be up to a legal challenge. We haven't had that right, so to speak, to strike the last two times we've had a work action. Our people understand that. If things are bad enough, they're willing to take that risk. And I, I think that even a, a revolution in terms of unionization in the workplace, I think that that's based on the material conditions of the people in that situation. I think that if people are bad enough off in a situation at a job and all of them feel united about it, that their best course of action is to form a union. Um, much like what I was saying earlier about a uh, material conditions um, being the largest contributing factor to revolution. <laughs> Jessica said, um, yes. Oh, wait, wait, hold on. I skipped the comment. Sorry. Natalie said the USA was probably afraid they've had, uh, they'd have to share their limited lot of PPE with their Cuban doctors. Just joking. Question mark. You're probably not joking, but it's okay. Uh, Jessica said, yes, that and I think they are trying to kill off poor, sick and old people along with minorities. I think that she's absolutely right there. And then she said, how does this dumbass bill make people want to be nurses? I mean, I changed careers because I couldn't nurse. I had to half ass and I wasn't OK with that. I, that's fair. Um how does that bill make people want to be nurses? I don't think it does. I think it encourages people not to be nurses. And that's another side of that problem that needs to be addressed altogether. Anybody else have anything to say about the uh, nurses in, uh, where was it, West Virginia? No, that was the I'd teachers. I'd like to see them. Yeah, the teachers. I'd like to see the teachers strike. I mean, if, if not the teachers, then maybe solidarity to the students, the students could strike. Right. You know, uh, I, I feel like it's so disgusting and un-American to not allow your teachers to strike. I mean, why would you do that? I mean, yeah, they deserve like, go ahead, Don. It's just, it's, I can see you trying to process it in your mind and it's real hard to fucking process, ain't it? That they're, they're doing a job just like anybody else. And in the United States of America, in this fucking country, where we get taught all about, you know, your ancestors did this and they striked and they made sure that you have workers' rights. 
teachers aren't allowed to strike though because we need that job to stay um happening and running so somebody can watch you yeah isn't that kind of what the four forefathers did to uh england they revolted against them so they could have better you know so they could be a better country so they could be under their own rule and now we don't even allow teachers to strike i mean it's just the, it's another sign of the downfall of the united states in my mind yeah well i mean i i know that it's like this old thing on this show at this point of like drawing the parallels between rome and the united states but we are on that same downward decline don't start that rabbit hole. Please don't start I, that I'm not going to start the rabbit hole. I'm just going to like, you know, point out the rabbit hole. That's all I'm doing. The elephant in the room, so to speak. What was that first country that you were talking about that they nurses and the teachers and everybody? Uh, uh, Myanmar. Instead of Myanmar. That's what we need to do here. That We need to get the teachers and the nurses and the doctors to actually come to our side. So that way we could still have medical care and teachers, but not let them be controlled by a government, either state or federal or what have you, you know? Well, it would be hard, that but that's something. Oh yeah, it would be very hard. But I mean, that being said, we have the technology to connect across global lines instantly. Yeah, we don't need the brick and mortar any longer. I mean, I, I think we should still have it, but you're right. Yeah, but even before we had brick and mortar hospitals, we had doctors that would be on call and could go to your house directly yeah. and see the patient that way. Right. So. Um, anything else to say about power of a strike? Anything else to add? No. Okay. Uh, March 15th. March 15th, general strike. General strike. This is the first time I'm hearing of this, so hell yeah. Oh God, the screen's stuck on me. Somebody say something. <laughs> uh, Dean, Ron said, I have really poor internet connect uh, connectivity today, but I wanna comment on something Dean said earlier. The stimulus package has gone through nine committees. It will probably go to the full house by the end of the week. Thank you for that info. Uh, Jessica, what do you want us to explain? Um, anyway, I guess we will continue into climate change. Uh, well, I mean, I, I think it's a, just a fair point to point out the happenings in Texas um, as a prime example of climate change. Just because the planet overall is warming does not mean that it's not gonna be cold in places that it's not supposed to be. Um, I have a graphic right here. Um, it shows, okay, if you see the on the top where the arrows are, the dark arrows, it's showing the Arctic polar vortex, which is a space of low atmospheric pressure with a counterclockwise rotation. 
So the polar jet stream normally stays pretty close to the Arctic. Um, but the warmer the climate gets, the, the further down the polar vortex goes because there's less of a difference between the Arctic and the areas surrounding it. Um, so basically, it's the high pressure system of the, the world's weather that is supposed to, uh, from, from the equators, push out to the pole, essentially. But um, the jet stream kind of just does whatever the fuck it wants <laughs> when the uh, polar vortex is weak, and that pulls cold-ass air down into Texas. We're going to see more of this. Oh, general strike is what she wanted us to explain. Okay, as soon as I'm done with this. Um, so you, you see that the amount of Arctic sea ice in November on average has been on a general downward trend um, since 1980, probably before that, honestly. Um, but I, I mean, we're... This is the problem. This is the problem. The Arctic is not staying as cold and that is making places that aren't supposed to be cold, cold. I'm sorry I couldn't put that into better words. <laughs> so eloquent, Rob. Anyway, the point is, is that according to scientists, Texas snowstorms are due to the rapid heating of the Arctic. Um, that, that first source that I showed was from the UCAR Center for Science Education. Um, I didn't actually quote anybody, so I don't have any names or organizations from this article. But the point is, winter storm Uri brought snow and freezing temperatures to Texas, causing multiple deaths and a lot of damage to infrastructure. Climate scientists have spent years exploring the relationship between extreme winter weather and warming temperatures in the Arctic Circle. Some studies suggest that the warming Arctic disrupts a natural phenomenon known as the polar vortex, which normally maintains cold air in the north. So essentially, we had two stories saying the same thing, but in one, they blatantly put the blame for the Texas snowstorms on that. Whoa. Well, so it's, it's not Biden's black winter or anything <laughs> i didn't see the clouds and no i don't think it's harp either man <laughs> <laughs> um so jessica asked about the general strike and um essentially the idea of a general strike is nobody goes to work nobody buys anything we shut this motherfucker down uh if we do it like myanmar is doing it then we also turn out in the streets and shut down ports and shut down shipping routes um essentially it is a it is a time-tested and proven method of bringing the system to its knees the problem is getting enough people in the united states to organize effectively to do it uh several groups have been working on this for months i do have some hope i i i would like to see it be a big thing but um only if you know everybody like us gets involved on the 15th of march can we make it anything remotely like what's going on anywhere else in terms of general strikes. Okay, I have a question. From the perspective of somebody that is currently an unemployed artist, how can I help with the general strike? 
me striking is simply telling just not doing art one day well i mean it would you be, don't buy products yeah right it would be not selling your products i guess would be the the best way but we're buying we're buying yeah for sure um so i mean i i think that the best way that somebody in your situation could get involved is to take to the streets but i mean of course you already know what it's like taking to the streets in that town man yeah i had um i had people that when they see me in our our local uh, Veterans Day parades and Fourth of July parades and stuff like that with VFW, they um, they shake my hand and thank me for my service and they posture themselves real good. Um, they drove past me when I was employed protesting for Black Lives Matter, um, telling me to get a job. Uh, some things that I'll I'll leave unsaid because I'm sure you you can all imagine, um, and I don't want to say them. Just a lot of hatred from people that two days a year thank me for my service and shake my hand and make sure that they're all proper towards me. Fear, fear and ignorance causes that a lot of the time. I mean, we had retired people uh, when I did the BLM marches in our town. And you could blatantly see that they were retired. They were old gray haired people and they're yelling at them, get a job. <laughs> Okay. That is the okay. oldest fucking conservative thing. I mean, I don't even want to call it conservative. That is the oldest like reactionary thing. They were saying that to the hippies back in the 60s. I mean, come on. And I mean, it was a very common th thing during Occupy. I mean, you know, like a lot of the people driving by would like honk and support and, you know, like throw up the solidarity fist or whatever. But then you'd also get these assholes in these lifted trucks just driving by trying to fucking like, you know, blow out a cloud of smoke, like, get a job. Fuck you, dude. Mm, mm, mm. Bringing back some memories for you, aren't I, Dean? Well, you know, that's the obvious thing, right? Idle hands, etc. There are a lot of negative assumptions that can can be made. They will be. And what do you need a job for? Basic human needs, right? I guess. No, it's it's market related. The market needs to carve your paycheck out. They have they have already met. They have already determined what cut who gets what and how much. And it's up to you to get out there and consume and, and be a responsible contributor to the market. Another thing we can do is uh, spread the word about the general strike on March the 15th. The more people that know, hopefully the more people that will respond and uh, participate with us. Yes, indeed. Oh, it's funny watching Rob disappear to his background. I know. <laughs> He's going to march with those people. <laughs> he's just left and he's he's marching with those folks. Yeah, is it? I, I think what's going to happen is I'm going to take away Dean's title of uh, Master of Time and Space and give it to Rob because clearly he's going going back in time there, right? 
Yeah, yeah he walked out I of the screen and marched with the Black Panthers. That would be dope. Yep. He's marching. Oh, yeah. Yep. And then he's returned on this plane, but in another form, as you see. Now he's turned himself into a little red fist. Pure energy right there. Yep. At least enough to light a cigarette. <laughs> and I'm sure after but, March 15th, we'll, we'll have another general strike. I don't know when, but they try to have them every few months, I believe, every couple of months or something. I really wish we'd have them on like March 4th. It, it feels fitting. It's the only time of the year that tells you what to do. Oh, God, it's stuck on me again. Somebody talk. <laughs> That was I wish we would no, you're good. Every day. No, you're good. Um, we, we need a general strike that lasts forever until we actually are represented by the government. I mean, personally, I guess what I would like to see out of the uh, March 15th general strike is a, a significant number of people not going back to consuming and producing until something is done. Uh, I believe that the goal for it is Medicare for all, and that's only about a hundred years overdue for Americans. Yeah. I mean, that, March is about the time where we can actually start planning stuff and getting gardens starting to grow and stuff like that. So hopefully, you know, people are gonna take up that and maybe the mutual aid aspect will help a general strike as well i mean i think that our our best goal there is to produce as a community as much as possible this year you know do a sustained general strike next year like i mean ultimately like a one-day general strike is like here's your warning yeah but and and, and it, it needs to be for a week or so yeah, I agree. But obviously, I'm not one of the organizers of that, so I don't know. As far as I know, they're just planning for the day. Um, but I mean, that being said, if we can get even, even think 10 million people participating in this general strike, even if it doesn't get any media coverage, there will be social media coverage. Yeah, independent news media. Yes, there would. Right. Imagine if we had a year to stockpile income for some people to maybe even use tax protest. Imagine if we walked into a general strike with a $100 billion strike fund. I mean, that we would be just cult raised on our own and saved on our own. <clears throat> I think the way to, to upturn the market is to have enough pool of cash to completely disrupt it. We're not going to win, in my opinion. I think they've thought through every possible outcome and are prepared. We haven't even seen them begin to put pressure on Myanmar or India. I think the only way to crush that system 
is to cripple it financially. And the only way to cripple it financially is to have control of a massive amount of money that's disruptive enough to frankly bring them to their knees. Well, and I mean, that's what they're trying to do in Myanmar. They're trying to get bankers on their sides. Yep. Um, you know, they're trying to essentially seize the central bank. Um, My argument is... If we called a, if we called a strike protest at the fucking Federal Reserve, we, we literally need an army. Well, I would argue that yeah. the means of production now is finance. Well, yeah, that's what Occupy Wall Street was all about, really. I mean, at its essence. Why do you so, think they chose Zuccotti Park? They were right in front of the bull every morning. Thousands of people in a general assembly. I mean, there's no way that Wall Street wasn't intimidated by them. That's why the police bulldozed the fucking park. Not literally. But not, get oh, I, I agree. Isn't that... I, I agree. Go ahead, Austin. Isn't that one of the theories of why, uh, I'm sorry, that's a little off subject, but isn't that one of the theories why JFK was assassinated was that he was trying to do away with the federal bank in America? God only knows. Or the I mean, I believe federal the reserve or whatever. He was trying to bring the federal reserve under federal control, but. Instead of owned by a handful of rich people. Yeah. I mean, there's only two countries that don't have it in their countries, I believe. And I mean, I believe Iraq was one of them. Uh, Stop me if I'm wrong, but uh, that's one of the reasons why we went in there because they were going to take that out. And another reason we attack people is that they uh, want to stop using the petroleum dollar. So... Well, and I think that's been part of our issue with countries like North Korea and Cuba from the get-go. Yeah, I mean, China, I believe, uh, through, or no, it was Russia, sorry. Russia, I believe, threw the Federal Reserve out. They bought them out or something. Well, I know they were trying to initiate their own currency. I'd actually, it was called BRIC. It was uh, Brazil... Russia, India, and China, I think it was. Brick nations. Yeah. I do. I think the way... Because... Uh, sorry, go ahead. Nope, you go. Nah, I'm going to take us back down my rabbit hole. Oh, you go. <laughs> go ahead. I like rabbit holes. <laughs> I think the way to do this is through financial means. Yes, withhold labor, but at the same time withhold payments. Yeah. Yes, yes, withhold students from classrooms, but at the same time, excuse me, at the same time, every single one of us can target. Yeah, we could all target Verizon and just simply not pay them on the same day. Yeah, like, like that's what they need to do right now in Texas, too, with the these. Uh, power companies is just not pay them. I mean, they want to try to overcharge people for services. They need to just stop paying them. I mean. Isn't it funny how Brandon was very uh, resigned? You know, there was, it was like, yeah, that's just kind of how it is down here. And I, and I, I didn't want to say, you know, because 
you know, there's still Flint, Flint, Michigan people are still paying the highest water rates in the country. They still can't drink that water. So it's not like we're not strangers to paying for services under threat of, of the withholding of that service for non-payment. But if 80 million of us decided to bring uh, multiple markets to their knees, we could, we could in a matter of hours. Uh, so we have some comments to catch up on. Um, Natalie said, I think once again, that they are not giving enough time to organize effectively, except if the plan is to short protest and that work up to effective size and time are needed. I've heard there are some multi-state truckers ready to go in on that type of plan and we would need truckers, honestly. Um, and then she said, right, it may need to last until the government takes notice and feels enough hurt to elicit policies. And yes, I sure hope Medicare for all is the first priority. We got the wrong guy for that conversation in the White House. Yeah, we did. Yep. And I mean, mm -hmm. that's why Bernie was the compromise. He was the bare minimum candidate, if we really get down to it. Yep. I mean, the bare minimum that we could actually get people to agree on, anyway. Um, so I guess back to climate change, because we kind of got off topic there, which that was a good rabbit hole, though. I enjoyed that a lot. Um, the U.S. has officially rejoined the Paris Climate Agreement on Friday. Wow. You know, okay, I thought somebody was going to say something. I'm sorry for that awkward part. I just figured you were staring at the camera, man. <laughs> um, nearly 200 nations have signed on to the landmark accord and committed to limit their greenhouse gas emissions in an attempt to keep global warming below two degrees, preferably below one and a half degrees, compared to pre-industrial temperatures. The Paris Agreement is an unprecedented framework for global action we know because we helped design it and make it a reality, Secretary of State Anthony Blinken said in a statement. Its purpose is both simple and expansive, to help us all avoid catastrophic planetary warming and to, uh, to build resilience around the world to the impacts from climate change we already see. Sounds a lot like politicking. Yeah. It's, it's, all, it's all platitudes. The Paris Agreement is next to nothing in comparison to what actually needs to be done. No, but at least there is uh, soft and somewhat binding commitments to achieve certain goals mutually by the most important players, right? If we agree to do this by this date, then this, you know, et cetera. There, I mean, we're, we're running out of runway to make decisions and to start do thing, doing things. We're, we're, we're approaching some estimated drop dead dates that if the United States is not on board for, we're going to blow them, which means we may, we may have, we may, it may be too far to return from. Well, I mean, I remember people saying a decade ago that two degrees is like the absolute threshold for like bad shit's going to happen. And we're already at like 1.4 degrees. There is no way that the me uh, the measures in the Paris Climate Agreement is going to keep us below one and a half degrees, which is apparently the goal. Yes. Um, 
And I guess that's what I'm trying to get at. We need a global Green New Deal rather than the Paris Climate Agreement, but... I mean, Texas, you look at Texas, that's that's something bad, I believe. I mean, that's what I think. I mean, millions of people were freezing. I don't know what the death toll was up that's up to now, but last we talked about 30s. it, it was 30 plus. Yeah. Yeah, so... I mean, I think that's bad. Yeah. And unfortunately, though, that's just the beginning. Um, yeah. No, anyway. the beginning was the beginning was the polar vortex moving down into Michigan for three years in a row, and having negative thirty-five with negative 40 wind chill. Yeah, that was pretty dope. We didn't talk about what kind of impact do you think that weather had on the wildlife down in Texas? I mean, I can't even imagine there's there's I mean, I I've had lizards before. I've had <clears throat> I've kept reptiles. I, I like reptiles. And I know that they can enter Burimation when the temperature drops below a certain point, but I don't know if they can survive that kind of cold. Um, I, a few buddies of mine live out in Texas. Texas is uh, supposedly really good to veterans. Um, one of my army buddies in particular runs a tortoise farm and I've been meaning to get a hold of them to make sure the girls are okay. Because, mm. I mean, Russian tortoises, yeah, they can they can survive in like the Mongolian steppe and Afghanistan, but those places don't. The areas they live in those places don't typically get that cold. I mean. What's it going to do to the bug population, too, that a lot of these things feed off of, you know? So. I, I, that, it's just something I was thinking about earlier, like the wildlife in Texas and the ecosystem, because, I mean, all that's connected. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um if we don't have anything else for climate change, then our next segment is combating fascism. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's a good segment. Yeah. Um, everybody punch a Nazi. You can't tell people <laughs> to do that, Rob. They'll deplatform us. Hey, everybody. Don't Punch a Nazi because I told you to, but punch a Nazi because it's the right thing to do. Punch a Nazi because it's what your grandparents would have wanted. Amen. <laughs> anyway, so six Capitol Police officers have been suspended and 29 others are being investigated for alleged roles in riot. When we did our first ever live stream, it was during the riot. And I believe that we counted six officers, didn't we? <laughs> like, total? Yeah. 
Yeah. Anyway, so they were in on it. Surprise. Um, no, but um, I'm glad this investigation's taking place, but I don't think it has any real teeth to it. I don't. I'm not convinced that it's gonna really make a difference. Um, and the six that were suspended were suspended with pay. Yep. So, you know. Of course um, they were suspended with pay. They're always. Yeah. Um, one of the suspended officers took a selfie with someone who was part of the mob that overtook the Capitol. Uh, another wore a, took off their police hat and put on a Make America Great Again hat and started directing people around the building. And uh, the department has been actively reviewing video and other open source materials of Capitol Police officers and officials that appear to be in violation of department regulations and policies. My question is, did they know that a police officer was killed while they were doing all this? Or do they have no idea that one of their fellow police officers were was killed by this mob? I mean, they might not have known, but it was probably a cop that wasn't in on it if they were actually trying to stop him. I mean, just yeah. like the guy that led people away from the Senate chamber, he obviously wasn't in on it. Well, I mean, and and, no. and of course, I just want to point out that the Capitol Police used the black guy as bait, and that's fucked. Well, I mean, that side has already issued their own state, their own version of the narrative where I've seen it shared on Facebook a couple of times. Um, it's a YouTube video that says autopsy and then in capital letters proves that officer insert name here. I'm sorry, I do not know his name. I wish I did so I could say it um, was not killed by the mob. I think they I didn't click on it because it's clearly bait. It's clearly clickbait to me, but I wouldn't be surprised if it was something along the lines of, oh, he wasn't killed by the mob. He was killed by inhaling the, the, the gas from the fire extinguisher. The gas killed him. Mm, right. He was killed by a taser when it went off in his pocket. No, <laughs> sorry. Sorry. <laughs> um, Natalie said, yeah, how the hell does suspension with pay do anything but give a free vacation? And that's exactly how I've looked at it. I wish I could get suspended with pay. Jesus Christ. Yeah, that's... That, isn't that how that always happens, though? They uh, end up killing somebody and then they get suspended with pay? Like, yeah. uh power of a union yeah that's one hell of a union well i mean it's really a cult if we're talking about the fraternal order of police but you're, you're right you're you're damn right that is a cult yeah is um, it time for my good news section yet we're getting real deep man <laughs> <laughs> um actually first we have uh lgbtq news um which actually trisha was going to do this se uh, this segment but um i guess we are now <laughs> uh, okay um, hit us what do we got actually has anybody has anybody checked in on her is she doing all right did she go back to the er what's the my phone is currently dead but she hasn't messaged me or anything no okay 
I don't she said she wasn't of... feeling good because of the, the dog dogs earlier. jumped on her foot. Yeah, yeah, we were already in the Zoom meeting when that happened. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, so Puerto Rico issued an LGBTQ emergency declaration. Um, hey. On January 24th, actually. That's not that new, but I didn't know about it. And actually, this article is from the 18th, so that's interesting. Uh, human rights defenders in Puerto Rico have welcomed a recent declaration of a state of emergency over gender violence on the island, but caution that real change can only come after a meaningful shift on the societal level. Mm. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, Marx has said things about continuing social and political revolution, and so did Mao, and so did Lenin. They knew these things had to be addressed. Um we can't get rid of misogyny overnight. It's going to take generations and we need to continue pushing for it. Um, anyway, gender activists have for years been calling for the designation, but the year 2020 brought on an increased sense of urgency. The U.S. territory had 60 femicides, a 62% increase over the year before. What exactly is a femicide? Is that a gender, is, is that a gender-based hate crime? Um, this is just simply me trying to break down the word. Uh, it seems about right. No, yeah, it's a gender-based hate crime. Okay, well, I'm, I'm glad that I used yeah. context clues there. Yeah. Um, so on January 24th, the governor issued an executive order declaring the state of emergency for 18 months. Uh, and the move also directs resources to government agencies to combat violence directed at women and girls and members of the LGBTQ community. They have more progressive legislation on fucking LGBTQ rights than America does. Just to point that out. Most of the world does. Yeah. I mean, but France just made their minimum, like, the age of consent, like, 15. Before that, they had none. So... I mean, at least, at least that's not where we're at. Um, There's anyway. several states that are at 14. Yeah. And I, yeah. Um, it's been too long, this pattern of male chauvinism-related violence, femicides, homophobic, <clears throat> and transphobic violence. We want to promote diversity and to respect each other. Most of these cases are connected to the fact that the police were... Uh, the police department from the very beginning didn't investigate these cases as hate crimes. Wow. And they cited examples of police misidentifying trans victims' genders. Mm. I'm sure that's a common occurrence here. How many times when somebody goes to jail are they thrown in a cell based on their biological sex? I would tend to think it's All probably most of the time. If not all of them. Yeah. So somebody was murdered. A transgender homeless woman was killed in uh, a fast food restaurant for using the women's restroom. Um, and a customer called the police saying that the person was peeping in the stalls. Hmm. it's the same line of thinking that we're seeing here unfortunately 
at least Puerto Rico is doing something about it. Uh, let's see, next, Virginia is nearing a ban on gay and trans panic defenses in criminal trials. So, like, what, if a trans person defends themselves, then... Yeah, what does that mean exactly? Yeah, that's... Okay, uh, yeah, it passed the House, hasn't gone to the Senate yet, because it's in the Senate Judiciary Committee... Wait, wait. I'm sorry. Okay, I zoned okay. out for a second. Say, say the the title that you were trying to figure out again. Virginia is nearing a ban on gay trans panic defenses. Okay, okay. So what that is, what that is, is in a lot of states, um, you can, if you say, say you go to this bar and you see this this really cute looking girl at the bar, and you take her home and things get hot and heavy and you find out that this is a transgender woman. Um, in a lot of states, you can simply kill that person and be like, I panicked because I they're transgender. Oh. Okay, so we want a ban on that. Yes, we want a ban on that. You shouldn't simply just be allowed to kill somebody. No, no, absolutely. I didn't know, I actually thought that it was the other way around, like, I don't know, like them not being able to claim, oh, I panicked when somebody tried to attack me. Wow. Nope, it's, it's a thing in a lot of states, and I'm actually really glad to hear that something- Yeah, 30, is 39 states still allow the defense, wow. Virginia and 11 other states have proposals to ban it under consideration, and there is 11 states that have banned the defense. Connecticut, Hawaii, California, New York, Illinois, Nevada, Washington, Maine, Rhode Island, New Jersey, and Colorado have all banned the panic defense. Okay. Well, good. Fuck. I can't believe this needs to be discussed. What the fuck, dude? I can't yeah. believe I didn't know what that was, for that matter, and that's my own ignorance. I apologize to, for that. But to be fair, until me and Sock got married, I had no idea anything about that. That makes sense. Uh, Natalie said, "Do you guys ever listen to Richard Wolf lectures? And if yes, do you recommend them, or is there a better teacher to learn from?" I actually don't really listen to Richard Wolf. The name sounds familiar. I I think you might be thinking of the guy that wrote Law and Order, Rob. No, I don't think I am. <laughs> when I think of Law and Order, all I think of is fucking body count. <laughs> oh. Shout out I, to Ice T. Yeah, we love I mean, you, homie. For real though, shout out to Body Count because you know they. They have a couple of songs where the message is like quite on point. I don't know how else to word that. Uh, anyway, back to the things that we were discussing. Um, British LGBT veterans that have been stripped of vet, uh, stripped from veteran, damn it, stripped of medals. There we go. Take two. 
British LGBT veterans stripped of medals can get them back. And of course, I uh, have read too many things on the New York Times this week, so I can't read the whole thing. But Britain's defense ministry said it was committed to addressing this historical wrong. Well, I mean, they're still under a fucking monarchy and they have this shit more figured out than we do. Just, just going to throw that out there. Um, anyway, so who is Richard Wolf? Oh, he is a very highly thought of uh, socialist. Marxist. Oh, he's the socialist economist. I've heard yes. I've heard him speak a couple times on guest things. Actually, now that I see his face, yeah, I didn't know his name though. I read something he wrote a very long time ago. I I can't remember what it was. Um, it was related to Marxism. Um, I have not followed him in the last four or five years, but he's, God, he's got to be getting up there. He was, he looks pretty old. Uh, he was born in 1942. Okay. Yeah. That's what I thought. Yeah. He, 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 yeah I was going to say he was quite a bit older when I, this was 30 years ago that I encountered him. He actually was one of the people who, uh, kind of made it okay to think along the lines of being a contemporary socialist. Um, even saying the word would be a big eyebrow raiser. I mean, still is. really a lot of stigma, you know, really a lot of stigma. Um, so much so that like it was just best not to say anything for a good long while. At, I guess. Um, I've plugged her a couple times on the show. I mm. got to see her speak during Occupy. Yeah. Um, Grace yep. Lee Boggs is, yep. I mean, she's not an economist, she's an activist. But, I mean, it. it in retrospect, it took me a couple of years to unpack some of the things that I heard her say that day. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's it's very simple to like take a sentence like, we need to rethink jobs at face value. But like, no, we need to rethink the entire structure of capitalism is what she's getting at. And that's kind of the approach that she takes is is leading you to these ideas on your own. She's just kind of a guiding light on the way there. And I really appreciate that about her approach. Um, Very much like Marianne, uh, what's her name? She was awesome. She ran for president too. Um, yeah, never mind. It's okay. I, I also like. Um, I, I guess I don't know much of her like literary literary works, but I do know of her. Her work with the Party of Socialism and Liberation, but Gloria Lariva has a lot of good ideas too, I think. But of, yeah. of course, that's kind of pulling from, well, you know, how many socialist revolutions that have either succeeded or failed to learn from. Mm. Um, 
I don't know. She's got a lot of good ideas, I guess is the point. Um, and of course, I, I just had a brain fart. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, you're good. Marianne Williamson, somebody else to look into. Another thought shaper. She's written a ton of books too. Well, that's pretty cool that we just did the uh, the uh, suggested reading. Yeah, then <laughs> just basically knock that out. Um, there's a lot of good stuff on YouTube too. Honestly, I, I can't really like off the top of my head point you in any specific direction, but there is more than you would expect um, in terms of Marxist or otherwise otherwise socialist um, speakers. <laughs> There's a number of, there's a great many uh, influential and important podcasts uh, that are, that have emerged. Uh, I think the, I, I, th I think the Trump administration for enabling uh, a very large segment of voices um, of Xennials and uh, young millennials who have risen up and basically identified as out and out Marxist socialists and and have set the pathway forward to so much so that there was a time whereby new registering voters uh, were identifying as socialists at a rapid, more rapid pace than they were any of the other parties. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that we have been since the 60s having a very slow cultural revolution. And I think it's only due <laughs> that the uh, political re revolution ends up following eventually. Whether it ends up being a democratic socialist um, kind of situation, which I think is probably the most likely here. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, I agree. So I would recommend uh, Chapo Trap House. Give that a listen if you have not. Uh, the Trailbilly Workers Party. Give that a listen if you have not. The Bad Faith Podcast, which also happens to include Virgil, Texas, and uh, uh, Bernie's uh, former, uh, one of his campaign like VIPs, either she was his communications uh, coordinator, or she was actually his campaign, Brienne, Brianna, Brianna, Brianna Joy Gray. Thank you. Um, really good content there. I mean, these kids are, man, they're, they're, what they're producing is fire, fire. If you're looking for new ideas, if you're looking for new ways of thinking of things, or you literally just want to have a laugh, uh, they intersperse their content with a lot of comedy. So, um yeah that's how millennials deal with the world around us yeah i agree <laughs> i'm with them i'm right there with you I, I agree completely obviously if you've listened to my voice for the past several weeks you know that's kind of where i'm aligned to um and in terms of you podcasts i i just want to i always throw them out every week because i have learned so much about different ideologies on the left in general and a lot about where that thought comes from uh revolutionary left radio revolutionary left radio is a good one pod pod save america avoid it's just a, a literally bullshit the antifada is awesome 
And uh, QAnon Anonymous, Q Anonymous is exposing QAnon is, is very good too. I didn't well, know that was a thing. What? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, is there any way that you can like type some of those out in the comments or something? I'd be happy to. <laughs> I'd be happy to. I'll share my listening list with the listeners who can listen. <laughs> speaking of speaking of recursive bullshit, um, I did want to bring up briefly just something that literally just crossed. <laughs> Across the desk, um, CPEC convention, which has an entire segment of the Conservative Political Action Committee, their convention, has an entire segment dedicated to cancel culture and eradicating cancel culture and supporting free speech, just canceled a speaker <laughs> because, because they <laughs> <laughs> because uh you know reasons so the cancel speaker was a twitter person who some of you may or may not be familiar with known as young pharaoh who is an intensely intensely uh anti-semitic person and so so intense that the conservatives meaning literally the the lizard people the people <laughs> The people that you would walk across the street to avoid canceled them. That's how bad this that's how it tells you anything about how it's going on that side of the world without Trump to coordinate things. Anyway, go ahead. I'm sorry. Recursiveness. I was just gonna say don't don't get started on lizard people. We don't need that crowd. The the headline that, that caught my attention was cancel culture, canceling conference, cancels, cancel culture, canceler. <laughs> so that is, uh, that's my recruit, my, my, uh, my triple recruit recursive contribution. All right. So, uh, Austin, I know it's not like technically supposed to be next on the program, but do you want to do the left unity thing? Yeah, I can if you want. Um, we we're supposed to have uh, something recorded, but that hasn't happened yet, but uh, it will happen, I promise, in the future. Uh, did you get that? The, the stuff I sent to Messenger by any chance? I did. I haven't had a chance to put it in. Um, but uh, I do. I mean, Green Party, GP.org um, is. Yeah, GP.org. The, the Green Party's main website. And um, I'm just going to, uh, for, for their sake, plug HowieHawkins.us. They do live streams on building the green party every week and they're in my opinion trying to convert it from a purely electoral party to an electoral slash revolutionary party and i think that, that will be much more effective especially if they network properly <laughs> anyway sorry if that was off topic at all go ahead austin <laughs> um, um do you want me to pull up the website though i can do that yeah, if you would like, I want to read off some of these third parties that I had shown. Oh, yeah. 
just to give people an idea of what kind of third parties there are and and uh, what they could join. And how effective and their, left uh, state... can be. I'm sorry, I'll stop. Yes. No, go ahead. <laughs> I need all the help with this segment right now. I was not prepared. I'm sorry. Yeah, I plan to like kind of structure this more too, and it didn't happen because I was fighting with my aunt today, but you know. So you're going to call her out of the podcast too? Oh, not by name. <laughs> I heard she needs called out now. <laughs> I seen what she said. She is a lovely lady. That's how Bro, I always I'm, put I'm, it. I'm still, all I can say is I've known you 20 years. I've never met that half of your family. Nope. <laughs> is there a reason behind that? <laughs> yeah, they're, they're only family by blood. Natalie is amused. <laughs> Natalie, thank you for watching us so regularly. You're so awesome. Yeah, you're literally always here, and I appreciate that. So we got, uh, I think Rob is going to try to pull up this list, if I'm not wrong. Uh, yeah, but yeah, yeah. we have, we have, I'll, I'll start naming them off. Uh, we have the Communist Party. USA. We have the Freedom Socialist Party. We have Party for Socialism and Libertarian uh, Liberation. Liberation. Yep, that's uh, PSL yeah. for short. Peace and Freedom Party. Just Justice Party USA. Socialist Action. Socialist Equality Party. Socialist Alternative. Socialist Party USA, Socialist Workers Party, Solidarity, Working Class Party, Workers World Party, and Working Families Party. Now, I don't know if this was a list I found on uh, the internet, and I don't know if I'm missing any, which I probably am, but these are, I believe these are parties that actually uh, try to run candidates. So anything that I just named, you can look to see if it's in your area and if you would like to support them. Because uh, to tell you the truth, this is the first time I've heard of some of these and I would definitely like to look more into them. And of course we have the Green Party, which is a more of a major third party, which lately I've been looking more and more into. And uh, of course I've known about the Green Party for years. Uh, I was going to run under the people's party in 2024 as a uh, congress and i have decided that i don't think i'm going to do that any longer uh there is a lot of bad things right now it's a newer party so the structure is still trying to find its footing i'll say so I'm not saying anything bad about the, the, the People's Party. Uh, I understand that it, it's hard to get going. I mean, the Green Party's been around for, uh, I believe, 36 years now. Sounds right. So I, I think that it, it takes a while for a third party to establish itself, especially in such a, a, a hostile uh, country as we have when it comes to our uh, party systems. Yeah. Uh, the Democrats 
and the Republicans, uh, more so the Democrats this year, really pushed the Green Party off a lot of ballots. And it was very, very disheartening to see. I know that, you know, I'm, I'm not a Democrat. Uh, I am registered as a Democrat. Don't get me wrong. I'm sorry. I'm registered as a Democrat. I haven't had time to unregister, but the only reason I was registered as a Democrat was because I live in Pennsylvania and I was going to vote. I did vote, vote for Bernie Sanders. So, uh, but yeah, besides I had that, to uh, as a Democrat to vote for Bernie in the primaries here in Arizona too. There's very many yeah, people, or when the, myself included, that are on that list. Or, I mean, they wouldn't have counted us if we didn't do that. So uh, originally I had a no affiliation because, I mean, <laughs> what party really represents us, you know? And uh, so next time I register, I will register as probably a green because uh, there is another list that I showed, and that is actually candidates that are uh, have a seat and from the green party in certain states and yeah yeah i believe in has 31 wisconsin has 23 massachusetts has 18 and maine has 17. but it says other states so i'm not sure like what the, the state that was being talked about was um i would guess probably california yeah, I, I know they have a bunch of city california and they have they have a couple mayors I believe, uh, don't quote me on this, but I believe California has upwards of 50. Uh, I could believe that. Elected they've been officials. building a, a strong structure in California. They've, they've ran some really good campaigns. They're trying to unseat Nancy uh, Pelosi, I, though, so that's going to take all of that structure. Yeah, I... The person that I wanted to unseat her didn't... Uh, didn't do as well as I was hoping he would, but they yeah. came out with a smear campaign right before the election to discredit him. Yeah, and which that was they the used. First, that was the first media attention he really got. She wouldn't do a debate. No, Sherrod. Sherrod. I'm sorry if I pronounced that wrong, but uh. He's he definitely seems like a really good person. He's for Medicare for all. He's for the Green New Deal. He's for the $15 minimum wage. And he actually was like, well, I'll go and I'll, you know, I'll, I'll go and I'll do these television things to debunk this claim that you've made against me. And after that, nobody would give him airtime because that would have just, you know, got his name out and uh got him recognition that they didn't want him to have but he has a large following on twitter and yes. uh that's how i found out Facebook. about it. <clears throat> yeah i actually i uh i was part of his campaign not like a major part but i was i was really trying to push for him i've donated to him he's gonna run again and i've donated to him this time i know he's running as a democrat and uh, I understand that we're, we don't want to vote Democrat, not all of us. And there are some that run as Democrats because they know that their chances of winning as a third party candidate is not viable. And he's not taking money from big, uh, 
you know, big corporations or anything. He's not taking any of that money and he's getting all of his money from uh, individual donors. So uh, there, there's uh, like how we said, Rob, remember that we are going to push for third party candidates. And I, I'm pretty sure we're both going to or I'm running as a third party and I know anybody that runs as a third party I'll push for, uh, there's us on Twitter. Uh, and then there's the local Bernocrats on Twitter. Yeah, I've been retweeting a lot yeah. of their stuff lately. Um, yeah, I'm part of their, their tweet group and everything. And actually the reason really that I won't push- be on the stream on Thursday, or at least not for the whole thing is because, uh, the, the young ETH, Young eco-socialists of Arizona are having their first organizational call. Um, nice. That's an organization within the Arizona Green Party, but I think that it's more relatable to the generation that we're trying to reach out to. Um, there, the, the Green Party in Arizona, I think, is going through a restructuring phase. I don't mean that in a bad way at all. There's a lot of people that have done a lot of good work for a long time that are just burnt out. And there's a lot of young blood that wants to come in and do things too fast for them. And I think that there's friction there, but I think that, I think that it's being worked out and I think that it will be good for the green party in the long run. Um, But I want to be part of the uh, the eco-socialists. I think that, uh, well, at least for another, at least for another four and a half years or so. Oh God, I'm getting old, but um, No, I, I definitely want to be involved with them. I definitely think that that they're going to do good things, I guess is what I'm trying to say. I, I've been asking uh, Twitter, like, uh, what we would need to do to make the Green Party and other third parties more viable. And when they say the Green Party, like I said, it's about 36 years old. I think it started in uh, late 1983 so that would make them make them actually almost 38 years old and it's just uh, when you have a structure that old you always have to revive it and make it fresh for younger people so they want to be involved in that type of party and that's why i think that the people's party uh started taking off so well was that people seen it as a new refresh kind of like a green party that's for the people so they went there and then they've started doing things that people don't like necessarily. So I, I'm as if we can rebrand the Green Party in a way that would appeal to younger generation, then I think that 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 party would be more viable, the Green Party. So I mean, a lot of people said that uh, there was stuff about Howie and I'm not talking bad about Howie, but like we say, like uh, we've said before, uh, or at least I've said to friends that Howie is a little uh, dry when he's not uh, giving speeches to, yes, uh, when he's on YouTube or when he's on Facebook and he seems like he doesn't have the spark that is needed uh you know even say we he had the spark that bernie had people were still saying bernie needs to take off the gloves all the time 
you know, Bernie's still not a Democrat. Whenever he's interviewed, it says independent. So I'm pretty sure Bernie is still an independent because uh, he was he was elected as an independent, I believe, in Vermont. So we need somebody, the younger generation needs somebody that lights that spark that they want to see and people fighting for their policies and for their rights and for equality that many of us, you know, all of us really deserve and want, you know, to see happen. I mean, we're going to be old. And like you said, Rob, four more years old, four more years and you're going to be old. <laughs> yeah, four more years and I can't be in the young ego socialists anymore. <laughs> but that's that's the thing uh we're gonna we're having this other generation gen z come out and they're they're gonna you know want something to fight for and we're gonna have to give it to them as these third parties and right now you know they don't see that in any of these third main third parties that are right here right now i mean some might but that's why we we're seeing all these newer third parties pop up is because they want, uh, you know, a young no, and vibrant. For, that's correct. They see it for what it is. It, it's a, it's a, it's a collective of, of sundowning oligarchs. you know, I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm, what are the, what is the word I'm looking for? Uh, it's a gerontocracy. Yeah. I just want to That's say just I like, love uh, this logo. That is beautiful. Yeah. The, anyway. the sickle and hammer. We expect a full report next week on Monday. <laughs> uh, indeed. Anyway, no, all jokes aside, I believe that it is time for... Uh, <clears throat> Don, good news, Hughes. Boy, it needs a theme song. Doesn't he, though? Oh, yeah. I can feel it. I can feel it. It needs to be one of those um, those early 20s um, Captain of Yesteryear style, you know, like the old school news ones with the, the Morse code in the background. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Sterling, future Sterling, if you're watching this, buddy shower drink water brush your teeth and make me that anyway hello everyone it's time for some good news um tonight we got real real deep into some some shitty news some so, bad news bad, some bad news, news. had in abundance and as we've feeling terrible <laughs> are you feeling low did, 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 did. i can do it i can do yeah. your intro yeah <laughs> It, all right. In all seriousness, though, time for some good news. Um, two things I want to share with you today. Not in any way related to politics. Um, the first one, Bayou Tapestry, which is a 70 meter long tapestry that was, um, it was created by the Anglo-Saxons in the year 1070 AD, um, shortly after the Battle of Hastings, which took place in 1066. Um, William the Conqueror had come over with an army of Normans um, and had just completely 
managed to conquer all of England and to commemorate that they made this tapestry depicting all of it. Um, it has been digitized into high, resolu high resolution photos um, and put on this website, which I'm going to drop a link in the chat right now. It's beautiful. If you like history, if you like tapestries, if you just want a distraction, go check it out, man. It's awesome. Second piece of good news. As I'm sure most of you have seen, um, the, the, the guys at NASA, the guys and girls at NASA and everybody in between has sent another rover to Mars. Um, today, they released, uh, I really wanna listen to it with you guys, but I, because I haven't listened to it yet, but they released the first audio recording of the Red Planet. And, um, video of the landing from the rover's perspective. Uh, I don't know. I think we're going to listen to it. I think, yeah, I'm going to screen share real quick and we're going to listen to this together. We're going to experience this together. It's going to be beautiful. I hope you're ready. Hey, Don, that's our planet. So, hey, man, I, um, Aries, I, we're going <laughs> to, I'm setting up a different podcast for that. Uh, I'll invite you. <laughs> Uh, I'm also an Aries. I, yeah, hey. I think Rob's the only one that's not. Okay. Okay, this one sounds like it's going to be the best one. Is that as loud as it goes? Yeah, man. Yeah, apparently. Okay, so if you didn't listen to that with headphones on, I'm so sorry. Um, I, I mean, think it's I just Natalie left. Did you barely hear it? Let's hear the one where it includes the <laughs> rover's self noise. I feel like that's probably got a little more noise. Oh. Oh, God. So this is what the red planet sounds like, ladies and gentlemen. And everybody, everybody I'm still not that doesn't hearing have it. Did you, did you hit share? Yeah, sound? I can't hear nothing. Seriously? Did you, hit, <clears throat> did you hit share sound? Oh God, I am so sorry. You guys, <laughs> I actually I actually planned this out today and- um, That's all right, just unshare and share back. When you share back, just check the box for share sound. Okay, okay. Ha, there we go. There we go. <laughs> Learning new things as we go. So the first one is Sounds from Mars, including the self noise from the rover. That's the self noise. Peace. Whoa. Yeah. Is that wind? Yeah, that's the sound of uh, Elon Musk doing burnt donuts. <laughs> Tesla. Uh... <laughs> Listen, Elon. Um, we have a we have of... a thing for you on Patreon. Yeah, we do. Yeah, we do. <laughs> um, here's the sound. Here's a more isolated version of the sounds of Mars, and I'm gonna drop a link to this in the um in the comments in a second.
if you listen closely, you can hear us all going into debt to go there. <laughs> that's bananas. Well, uh, that's a good way to end that, I think. Um, the, this has been the good news. Um, I'm proud of you. Thank you for listening all the way through, Natalie. You're amazing. There, there's, it, there's more than just Natalie, I think. Yeah, there's quite I'm, a few people, actually. And we'll oh, cook. really? Yeah, we usually hey. pick up quite a few in the that, that aren't able to watch live. Oh, well, I was unaware. Um, proud of you all for watching all the way to the end. So can we do a group bomb in the comments? Like, you know, the, the support group, the mutual aid group, the anti-fascist group. Can I can I link my uh, my art page in the comments? I mean, I don't see why not. It's not like you're selling corporate goods. <laughs> I'm not even selling goods. I'm just drawing. You're fair, but eventually, yeah, actually, want to sell it. Actually, that's a good point. In, uh, I, I know I always ask this, but you know, if anybody on this call or in the comments has anything to drop they'd like to bring attention to personally please do uh for that matter leading up to the next stream if anybody has anything that they want discussed you know like drop it in the comments yep. we actually do pay attention to these things yes we do um but anyway we we have our our facebook page which i'm sure all of you have liked at this point we have the support group we have the mutual aid group we're on Twitter at For We Are Many Two, and uh, of course, my Twitter is at Our Quarters Two. Sorry to self plug, I guess. We are Please on Instagram. What? Please do self plug. In fact, Austin, what is your Twitter? Yeah. Don. It's it's Austin J Patton. That's who I am. That's my Twitter. At Austin J Patton. Don, you're on a you're on Twitter. I am on Twitter, actually. Um, it's just like all my other social media at that Swedish chef. That's awesome. That's awesome. I'm at Paxtonland, and you'll find uh, quite a lot of things that are mostly Flint related in my Twitter feed. I don't have a huge following, but Paxtonland. I mean, you know, maybe we maybe we should get you bumping if you're talking about flint honestly oh geez it's a live stream of articles from the east village magazine which is a tremendous resource to the community and has been for the last 40 plus years uh i am all i run their website oh yeah um we are on instagram and TikTok. uh we haven't really done much with either of those that should be changing this coming week, as uh, as I said on Thursday. Uh, we have a website, www.forwearemany.org. We are on YouTube, uh, for we are many, and we are on SoundCloud, for we are many, for we are many. Sorry, um, and a new a new development for us uh, this stream after it's not you know live anymore we'll be going on our every podcast distribution mechanism on the internet including apple itunes uh, including google podcasts correct including um uh 
jeez, oh, I'm sorry. I'm I'm running Spotify, out of gas here. Pandora. Thank you. Spotify, Pandora, Spotify, especially Pandora. Yes. Yeah. Wherever you get podcasts, you will find us. And we will be doing actual segments in the near future. We just, we've been putting a lot of resources into figuring out how these streams work. That was kind of step one, but I think that we've more or less figured that out at this point. Um, but yeah, watch for us. We'll be here. Yeah. Also, Lord Sterling isn't here to tell you guys this, but I'm going to give you a sneak peek. We're getting ready to do something really special. I'm not giving you a sneak peek. I'm just telling you, we're getting ready to do something really special. Watch for it. Wow. Yeah. Stay tuned. <laughs> Stay tuned. So uh, we also have a Patreon. Uh, hey, Elon. Hey, Elon. <laughs> www.patreon.com slash for we are many. If you look closely, you will find a very special donate donation level, and you will find one if you are just a regular person to suit your budget and your <laughs> needs. And as always, if you are in a financial constraint, when we when we are ready to launch some of this premium content that we're sitting on. If you would like to have a scholarship to our, our our premium content, please reach out to us. We can make some arrangement. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously, we're not in this for the money. Yeah. The only <clears throat> the only real reason that we have a Patreon is just to offset some of the production cost. Yeah. And yeah. To maybe even grow. Yeah. We live we live in a capitalist society. Can't change that without money, sadly. Yeah. And I know when I get the stimulus, I will be donating to the Patreon. Yeah. If um if the VA does in fact go through with the things that they're telling me that they might go through with, I'll be donating as well. Indeed. Indeed, that would be dope. Natalie, um, Natalie asked if we decided against the TikTok, but I think you just said that we're gonna have it still, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, yeah. It was the, it was the likey that we got rid of. Um, it had been suggested by a couple people. It's supposed to be kind of like TikTok, but I installed the app and never even got around to posting anything, and all I got was a bunch of notifications from fucking sex bots. So no, I'm I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> hey sex work is fucking uh so socialist or communist i mean i'm so. not i'm not disagreeing <laughs> with that but i don't even think these people are real because they all say the exact same thing oh yeah man it's probably yeah, just a computer program messages. yep yep <laughs> yeah sex work is work but bot work is not sex work <laughs> no I'm, I'm not paying no ai <laughs> At least not that you're doing consciously. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Does anybody uh, have anything they want to say for closing? I do. One 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 last item. 
Um, when it relates to this particular production, we are looking for volunteers, we are looking for writers, we are looking for original artists, music creators. If you feel that you can contribute and 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 would like to have a, a platform for your original content, we are here. Yes, um, I would also like to point out that if you have a skill you would like to teach, all it takes is a cell phone. Um, you know, like it yep. doesn't got to be pro shot or anything, but nope. make a video. We'll host it. Um, Gorilla Gardeners, mutual aid organizers. We need you. <laughs> um, yep. Uh, we have, did you plug have... for we are Go ahead. for we are many mutual aid group? That's what I was saying in, yes. the, in the comments. I would like okay. to get. Um, I don't know if anybody did it, but in the comments, I would like to get the links, the links to, spray. Yep. Yeah, to all of the groups, including the anti-fascist group, which hold on, hold on, hold on. I am so sorry, Emily. You have been here the whole time. Even Zeus is yelling at me. I'm so sorry. Did she say that? Oh, she, yeah. she, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I threw you off. Cont try to continue. No, you're you're absolutely good, and 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 we will we will make sure that that is part of this the transcription, the show notes, the presentation, and we will also be hitting all of the groups with link backs to all of the social media accounts and all of the corresponding groups. So there is a there is a, no lack of uh, pathways to contact us. Again, the primary channel is the Facebook group, but the website is growing. And that is primarily where I am driving as much new uh, content as possible. And like I said, if you've got words, we've got a place to put them. Um, Can I say one more thing? I was just going to read Natalie's comment real quick. And I was kind of going to shoot this at Dean. Okay, She's asking ahead. about PayPal. Does, does anybody still do PayPal? And I will leave that up to you if you want to. Yeah, we, yeah, we have. Yeah, we don't have our PayPal set up, but we will have a mechanism with which to donate directly on the website. Yes. Okay. Uh, we don't ahead, have Justin. our separate PayPal's, but we, we 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 will stay tuned. We will have that within the week. Uh, local Bernocrats has a Facebook Facebook group also. Uh, I urge people to, we need to run from the bottom up. That means for school board, that means for city council, town council, that means for mayor, governor, you know, run, help people run, help people become recognized. I've seen a lot of good, really good green candidates lately, and it seems like they just didn't have uh the support to get them to where they needed to be to be able to win their candidacy so please just try to run or help donate uh facebook their name you know get their name out there somehow mm -hmm. i i appreciate it thank you all all right well that I sounds like that a show yeah um, thank you all once again for 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 marching through with us in solidarity with us 
as we are with you. And we will see you in exactly four days. Solidarity. Solidarity. Am I putting up the wrong arm? I'm putting up the wrong arm. There we go. <laughs> I think it was the right arm. My videos flipped. Sorry. Yeah. All right. All right, guys. Ninety nine.